Episode 137 of Adventure Super Train and the Dogs just started barking next door, so you might hear them throughout this intro. I am Dan. I am your main host of this dog barkingly wonderful show. Short-lived TV show podcast. We cover the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 and eventually we'll cover blah, 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 blah. In this one, we are... We got a brand new old show, old new brand show. Brand, we got a new one coming in here. Thank you, dogs. And uh, we're gonna, we're going to mix it up a little. We are going to start with a little tales of the gold monkey with Kristen Hawes, and then we have my friend Kay Hawes is going to join me to discuss the first episode of. It's going to be a secret, and then uh, Kiki Wrights will be joining us again to discuss the middleman, and it'll be great. And so I think it's what is it episode. Fifteen of Gold Monkey, the first episode of and then the ninth episode of Middleman. So I'm just gonna let us dive right in because that first episode discussion of the show is a little um long. So uh let's dive right in. Uh here we go, little tales of the gold monkey. of Habit, episode 15. Tales of the Golden Monkey, directed by Harvey S. Laidman. Teleplayed by Tom Green, story by Tom Green and William Schmidt. February 2nd, 1983. And in this one, uh, a couple of nuns land um, on the island, uh, on Borgora, and um, they're delivering cholera vaccine to China. Jake recognizes one of them as an old flame of his, uh, and tries to give her a little bit of yeah, but she's actually apparently going to be a nun, and she's actually apparently delivering this cholera vaccine to China. Also, there might be something else going on because there are a couple bad guys lurking around, and um, I'm not going to go too in detail. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talk between uh, Jake and the nun, and they chase some bad guys. I'll leave it at that. You'll, you'll hear what we have to say about it. Let me give you a little blast of something. We'll be on the other side. Listen to this. Force of Habit. I believe this is episode 15 of Tales of the Gold Monkey. I've forgotten to look. Um, but I believe it is. And isn't that great? 15 episodes where um, definitely uh, definitely the second half of the series. Um, I'm not in the home stretch yet. I don't know what the home stretch would be on this series. Sometimes you can tell when you're watching a show that you're in the home stretch, and sometimes you can't. But I think this episode has a bit of a, it's sort of a, a kind of an interesting. It, I think it does an interesting thing. But I'm here with someone who may not think it does an interesting thing. That's Kristen Hawes. How are you, Kristen? What? I am not religious, Dan. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. You know, I was I, I you know I grew up Catholic, um, and I, I think I've said before, yeah, I, I did eight years of Catholic school, and um, uh, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of oh the the best thing about it was the the holidays because you get you get all the regular holidays plus you get all the um, you get Ascension you get um, 
the Pentecost. You get all these. I could have made that up, um, but 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 you get all the days off, which is really great. Um, however, having said that, I um I, I can't. I don't know if I can admit that I'm still Catholic, but um, uh, I will admit that I am a fan of Jesus. I'm not a fan of his fans. <laughs> Same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah. So if you, you, I think I think you folks know know what I mean there. Um. So um. But uh, what 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 did what did you what did you think of this episode, which features the lovely Pamela Susan Shoop, who we know as the a lot of things, but as the um, nude nurse in the hot tub in Halloween too. Here she plays a nun. Um. How did you how did you enjoy Force? How did you enjoy? Does that make sense? How did you, how did you were you enjoyed? There was enjoy. Were, um, did you find enjoyment in Force of Habit? Well, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay, we are going to later discuss this weird TV trend that seemed to happen in the '80s, in which the a main character's ex lover came reappear in their life as a nun. I don't understand why that was so popular in the '80s, <laughs> and we'll discuss that later. But this is one of those episodes where. Under other circumstances, I'd be like, yeah, it was okay, except I have a very weird quirk, so this episode annoyed the hell out of me, and that is, while the rest of the world loves a bickering couple, Mm -hmm. they get on my nerves, and this episode was basically the whole um, trying to get back the vaccination thing Mm -hmm. was basically the MacGuffin so we could put this bickering couple in a plane for majority of the episode and have them snipe at each other and I'm like (laughs) yeah this is this is irritating this isn't funny this does not um there's nothing endearing about this Mm -hmm. it's just really annoying and I realize that's a me thing Okay. That it it is not a reflection of a majority of the rest <laughs> of the world. This is a this is an agreed upon trope that people love this. I don't. It mm-hmm. just grates. So trying to remain objective about this. Okay. It's an okay episode because it's basically an episode in which the getting the vaccine back is just a MacGuffin to put two former lovers into a plane and they're now completely different people and you know, have them reconnect. Yeah, that's okay. It's not usually my cup of tea. And <laughs> and we do have Willie running from a nun, and I do love yes, that. Yes, that is fun, yeah. And we learn, we don't quite learn what the blessings are, but yes. um, we get enough of it to know. <laughs> yeah, the nun is terribly offended mm-hmm. by by the blessings. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's objectively so. It's okay. What did you think of it? Hopefully you liked it better than I did. You know, you know what I did. I did. the The thing was, I am. Um, it was one of those sort of episodes where, um, uh, I, I, I don't know that I was loving the back and forth between the two of them in in, in the cockpit of the plane. I think there are some nice moments, um, and I do like I, I do like Pamela Susan Shoe very much. I, I think whenever she shows, whenever she shows them in something, she um, she sort of lights it up for me. Um, but 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 her and that nun's habit. I don't know, kind of grated on me after a bit. I don't know why. I was just hoping she'd just take it off and just shake out her hair and just, 
let it down the aisle. But she doesn't. I, it's well, no, it's, a, it's an interesting episode because I didn't know that it was because she steals their plane, she steals the goose, and goes after the clipper. So I thought we were going to get involved in some high-stakes action. But basically, the rest of the episode, up until the last five minutes, and it's almost an afterthought when they beat up the guy and get the get the vaccine and the gold back it's really a mix of the what the mother superior being offended by our nazi priest and you know you would think that would happen uh, but he's still you know he's still you know he whatever he does he still seems to be one of the nicest guys around on that island um uh and, and it's it's mixed with them talking and bickering as as you said and it's um and I, the the thing that I like about the episode is it wasn't until I got to the end that I thought, oh, they were doing something completely different from what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to be full on nun nun action and stuff like that. But 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 there hit a point where I was watching it and I was interested, and I kept thinking, okay, well the you know the action adventure will start soon. But but then when it actually started, I had to check in the timer. I was like, we got like four minutes left. They actually, they actually did it, and they, they, um, I, I wasn't, um, you know, you know what, I, I think, it's interesting, because when I watched it the second time, and I knew that was happening, I didn't like it quite as much as the first time when I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I found the, the opening scenes kind of more annoying, and kind of waited for them to steal the plane. I mean, because I love the moment when they get on board the plane and they run up to the pilot, and the pilot, and it's a nun. I thought that's a great moment. Um, but it's it, it it was interesting because, and I wonder if I if I watch it a third time or if I watch it in the context of the series again, uh, what I'll think of it. But I yeah, I didn't dislike it like you did. I th- I thought it was pretty well written, um, but it's also very unlike, not 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 quite unlike like the um, the uh, the one on the ship. Which seems like it's from another TV show. Actually, this seems kind of like maybe it's from another TV show too. Um, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Um, I, I think it's from from what there's a commentary from the writer on the on the DVD, and he says that they were very specifically trying to make the character interaction less like Indiana Jones, you know, snarky, sniping back and forth with one another, kind of sharp dialogue, and more like try to make it a little more real. And when I listened to that, I thought I, yeah, I think you mostly succeeded. I um, I um, I, I think what it is, is is just like if it had been maybe a, if it had been a different actress, I might have gotten a little bored with it. But I like I like I like Pamela Shoup, and I was a, and she kept me interested throughout. And so it's 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 a tricky episode because it does, um. You almost watch it and you think, um, is this is the show going to go this way from now on, or is this a one-off? What 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 is this? They're tr- they're trying something different. And I applaud them for trying something different, mm-hmm. and I th- I think it, I think it mostly succeeds. But it it really is like you said, it's it's like two characters, sort of, um, who were lovers reuniting briefly before one of them has to leave forever. And in a show called Tales of the Golden Monkey, that may be a little tricky. Because you expect crazy gold monkey action, and you get a pilot arguing with a nun for about <laughs> twenty-five minutes, and some of it is sweet. Though. I mean, when they when they save the day, like when the, they use the rum, which I thought was very clever. 
I th- that's a great little idea. And and then she leans in and kisses him. I thought that was a nice moment because it's like suddenly you can see the passion is back right there, and both of them are like, oh my gosh, oh what just <laughs> happened there? And so I like that. So so well, I can understand where you're coming from. I I did like it. I think um, uh, more than more than you. And I um and I like I said I was surprised that. Um, if you're tuning in for the sort of adventure show it's mainly been for the past 14 episodes, this one isn't like that at all, really. Although it it looks like it is at times, it's really not. And um, I, I I think it's interesting they did it. I, th- I think it's if if it's an experiment, I think it works. Should they do it again? I don't know. Um, but I, 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 I did I did enjoy it. I did, the, the Mother Superior kind of got on my nerves a bit. She has like a sore on her lip or something that I couldn't stop staring at. Um, <laughs> but um, and it wasn't it wasn't like she got beat up, you know, or something. She just has something on her lip, and I thought Mother Superior, please. I know you, you're not supposed to wear makeup or anything, but the other nun does, and maybe you, maybe you should put a little something on there. So so yeah, it's a, it's 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 a tricky episode because I th- I think I think it is. I think it is well written. I think it's well put together. But I don't know if it's a Tales of the Gold Monkey episode. I'll have to see. Because this could be, we have seen, I mean, um, a show I love, Gemini Man, halfway through it sort of began to change its format. So I don't know, having never seen the show beyond this point, I don't know if this is a change in format or if this is just an experiment with the format to give Jake a, a bigger background. And if, if, it, if that's what they were doing... I'm perfectly fine with that, and I enjoyed it. But um, I'll have to see how it goes. So I'm sorry that you didn't like it. I understand the um, <laughs> your, your dislike. I mean, it's it's um, it, there there is bickering. <laughs> there definitely is bickering, and there are a few moments when you think, let's catch up to the Clipper and have a fight. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I I, I um I understand where you're coming from. Well, is there is there? Well, I guess let's um. Uh, what what did you like? What, I mean, was there something about it that you really went, yeah? You didn't have well, to make that noise, of course. But... <laughs> I don't think anything made me quite make <laughs> that particular noise. I did, I too liked that they used the rum because the whole thing is about they went and picked up this supposedly really exclusive expensive rum yeah. called it's purple label rum or something like that and it's still on board when the nun steals the plane mm-hmm. and then they run out of fuel because they didn't refuel when they got back and so they use the rum because it's 180 proof or something like yes. that and to refuel the plane which i thought was clever and i liked that bit of cooperation mm-hmm. everybody working together and saving the day that was great i loved that and then we get to the end. There's only one bottle left that Corky had put in his pocket yes. because, of course, he did. And he mm-hmm. gives it to to Louis, who had procured this because he was mm-hmm. going to resell it. And he tastes it because he wants to see what it's all about. And he says that it tastes like gasoline. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I love that what you had at the beginning. It pays. It ends up paying yes. off twice. Yes. With yes. With them using it as a, the the rum as the fuel and then as the the joke at the end. How it tastes, I, yes. I did love that. That yeah. was very good. That, yeah, that I can't good. fault most of the writing and what they were trying to do you with just, the episode. You just didn't like it. I just didn't. I just can't stand. The, it was much of the bickering is just stuff you've seen before. Yes, like true, true. Um, uh, one of them had to all automatically contradict the other one. 
Well, I yes. would have, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. go down in the clouds to hide. Well, I would have gone up in the sun. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh, this is, there, there, please stop grading on me. <laughs> there is there is one one line she has near the end when he's he's going to go after the bad guy because they can see him. He's like right nearby. And he's like, mm-hmm. go to Corky and do this or something like that. And she doesn't want to go. And she has a line where she says something like, you know, don't give me errands. Just tell me to leave. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's a nice line. I like that. Like, that was a little harder than the regular sort of Bickerson's kind of thing we we've been through. Um, I mean, par- part of the part of the thing that does make it amusing uh, to me, at least, uh, but is is that she is dressed as a nun the whole time. Um, yes, and, she, and she never takes the habit off. She never she never takes the habit off, and I, I do like the the opening scene when he's trying to get her. Uh, well, not that not the opening scene, but the opening scene in the play when he's trying to get her out of the seat. Mm-hmm. And, and he like and what what is it? He runs up. Um, uh, to to put the fl- uh, uh, put the flaps up, mm-hmm. and and you don't know she's there yet, and he just rushes up, puts the flaps up. All of a sudden, the plane takes off, and he goes flying backwards and knocks himself unconscious. And then you see the nun turn and look at him. Yeah, there's there's some. Um, I would have actually loved it if they'd done like an Iris in, like James Bond style, uh, the nun, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right there and gone to a commercial break. Yeah, it's it's an interesting episode because I don't like I said I don't know if um. Uh, this will be because I know the guy who wrote this of the remaining like six. He writes like four of them, I think. So, so I don't know if this is like um, a new a new path for the show or something. But um, but it's, it's interesting and and like like I said, I uh, I, I didn't expect it to um, spend so much time with them to the point where um, you forget that there's something they were actually doing. Um, it it almost becomes like a, after a time you, it almost becomes like a we can't land the plane or something like that you know this it's not like we're not we're not like going after the 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 vaccine and the gold it's like we're in the plane and we can't land it and they get in wacky adventures sort of um, but at least Corky and Jack are there yes always they, always. they say they save the day especially when Corky is. I can't remember what the conversation was, but it had to do with the the lack of fuel that the fuel mm-hmm. had run out. And Corky said something, and Jake goes, "Aren't you forgetting in something?" And he goes, "I don't know, am I?" <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think this is a, this might be the episode we disagree on the most. Not not that I'm gonna, I, I well, I have to get to the end of the series before I said, but I I did quite like the episode, but I can also see where you're coming from on it and also um sarah again could uh-huh. we I, I get what they're doing here it's an old flame and everything but uh, sarah come on where yeah. do you, you you were trashed to her in the other episode and now you're dealing with you know old flame angst in this episode <laughs> but the but the assurance here is that we will never see her again That's because true. she's going to stay with her order and her order of nuns does not allow her to contact or talk to anybody she knew in her previous secular life and i'm like why are catholics so weird that's isn't that nuts isn't that yeah yeah it's it's it there um uh when i uh one of the uh, uh schools i went to st margaret mary's the convent was right next door and we used to go there on occasion because the nuns would throw us little i don't i wouldn't call them parties but nun they would parties th- <laughs> nun parties and they would throw, you know, like at Christmas time, they would have a little thing where it was like, okay, we're inviting the second grade over, 
you know, and come and hang out with the nuns and, um, you know, and there, there'd always be like, like one nun who is like, you, you never saw, you know, like the nun, she, she lives at the top of the stairs kind of nun. <laughs> and then there was, there was always a nun that we had, um, a uh, sister Lucine and she was the math teacher for fourth and fifth grade and everybody hated her except me. I just thought she was the best. Because I learned so much, because because you know everyone everyone thought she was mean, but I actually thought she was a good teacher, and um and she she was the one, she was the one the the one time I did this in grade school, where I um uh and I've done this you know in my adult life many times, but I only did this in grade school once, where I think we we learned something like it was long division or uh, multiplication, some something something advanced maybe with factoring or something like that. And I had, um, and I took down all the rules for how to do it, but I took uh, one of the rules down in reverse. <laughs> I think I've told this story once before on here, but we're talking nuns, and I got to tell the story again. And I just tell it briefly. So when we took the test, testing our skills, I got like a 23. And I'd never gotten below like 85 in my life. And she came up to me afterwards and said, Dan, and I thought, this is where it happens. They always say, Sister Lucene, she's one of them hitting nuns. <laughs> I am in trouble. And she said, Dan, do you think maybe something went wrong on this test? And I said, well, I, I took the notes like you said. And she looked at the notes and said, ah. And she said, go up on the board and do one of those problems for me. And this was after the class had left. She said, I want to talk with Dan for a minute. And I did one of the... T and when I got to, like, step six, she was like, do that one again? And she said, yeah, now try doing it like this. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, what do I do? And she said, I'm, I'm going to give you the test again tomorrow. And uh, we'll see how... And I got, like, a 97 or something like that on it. But... Um, but it, it was just it's just this weird moment where I took one step down in reverse. I don't even remember what it was, and it just I completely failed the test in such a hilarious fashion that I was going to jump out the second story window of the Catholic school. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, it's it's yeah nuns are yeah Catholic nuns are are odd and um um I don't know they you know it's it's some of some of them were nice some of them like Sister Lucine were were tough but um. I thought decent. Some of them are jerks, and um, and I know my stepdad who went to a Catholic school um, a couple decades before me. He said that's when they used to hit you. And he said he said like one point one of the nuns was just hitting him on the uh, like with a ruler on the hands, and at one point he like put his fists up like he was going to hit her back, and that's when he got in big trouble. He, he was just like he couldn't take it. He said, you know, just like don't don't stop. Okay, stop. I get it. Stop, please. And he just hey, and he put his fists up, and he was a tough little guy. And it was like oh dad, oh dad. Um, but uh, I'm sorry that that was a bit of a tangent. So let's talk about our favorite Nazi reverend. Willie, so, yes. So, what do you think about his scenes in this? Those are probably your favorite scenes. Well, yeah. I, first of all, I did absolutely love that he was dodging the, yes. the what is her name, Mother Mary. Yes, I as much too, as yeah. he mm -hmm. possibly could, and I can understand she was kind of an unpleasant, bossy woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I am pretty sure marrying God does not give you the right to be such a demanding woman. Yes, but okay. Yeah. Um, but when she finally catches up with him. <laughs> In the in the oh, church, yes. and he almost gets rid of her because she wanted to talk to him because she couldn't go to confession or anything, but she she wanted to, to talk to him about 
Sister Teresa, uh, you know, taking off with the plane in that situation. And he at some point tells her, you know, God gives you burdens, but he also gave you shoulders. That's the wisdom he gives. (laughs) He's almost out of the way. And then the native girl comes in and she, you know, says something about the blessing and horrifies Mother Mary. And they have a lovely scene, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Because oh, yes, it's yeah, yeah. it's storming, and they realize that everybody's up there, and it doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "There's nothing we can do." And Mother Mary says, "No, there is something we can do." And they go into the chapel to pray, and Willie is trying to clean up the chapel because it's leaking because mm-hmm. it's raining. And she comes in and walks down and, and kneels, and he kneels with her yes. to pray with her. And she, it seems, to, it's kind of like you know everything is forgiven his sins are forgiven in her mm-hmm. eyes i guess mm-hmm. but it's a very sweet scene yes yeah when, it, when it comes to the end yeah yeah that's sort of like a b, b plot sort of in the um and I, well, I guess the b plot is actually recovering the vaccine i guess yeah. this would be the c plot and it's a really lovely it's a really it's a, it's really kind of a lovely moment because um yeah willie gets i don't know that he gets any redemption but he certainly um he might pray for the first time yeah. in his life not that he needs to not that not that anyone needs to uh pray but um but uh it's um there there is um uh there is comfort and sometimes power in in assembling and just you know putting the putting the vibes out you know just just saying yeah. hey hey you know help help help, help our friends you know, and because they're in the midst of a storm where this this same lightning bolt keeps shooting down on them every few minutes. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, look out with that lightning bolt! And I, I, I will say, with the thing with the storm is, it did strike me as one of those storm scenes where um, they're going to be absolutely fine until the moment they're not. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's not, it's not really they'll 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 get they'll talk as much as they need to, and then something bad will happen, which isn't which isn't quite what. Occurs, but sort of is, and but it's um, yeah. What what else do you have on this? I mean, what did you think of the bad guys uh, as they are? Well, in the brief scenes that we saw them, <laughs> because we do get we do get a different plane scene with them in the clipper looking for the gold, and then the guy, the one bad guy, Lucas Q there, and um, he ends up shooting the other guy, mm-hmm. and then pitches his body out of the plane, and I'm like, hmm, is that littering? <laughs> that feels like littering. That feels like, yeah. Don't dump stuff in the ocean. Yeah. Unless you're a fish. Weird. You know, unless you're a yeah. fish. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't live there, then you don't yeah, get to dump it, things exactly, there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't get to see very much of them, but because it was it was the one guy, the bad guy that lived, he just has, he usually plays a bad guy and he mm-hmm. just has that face. So you didn't really need a whole lot of character backstory to go, yes. ah, yes, that's an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't trust him. Shoot him. Shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, yeah. And he even has a moment where he, uh, takes his gum out of his mouth and sticks it on the window of the plane after he drops the guy. And I thought, Ooh, that's a little gross. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, he's nasty on top yeah. of littering. I mean, yeah. just all around gross. But but he 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 really is in, in the um, he I don't I'm sure they have names. I don't know what their <laughs> names are. I don't you know I'm sure it, it really is the episode really is about um uh, uh Jake and um Sister Teresa there um or uh, but that that's not her name. Her actual name is Bridget. Bridget, yes, yes, it's it's about Jake and Bridget sort of meeting up 
for the last time and having a final adventure before she goes away forever. And when I say it like that, it sounds like the best freaking thing ever. <laughs> and I want to watch it again. And and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's the best freaking thing ever. But I, again, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, although, like I said, I, I enjoyed it more when it was a surprise what was happening. The second time through, I was looking at it a little more critically. And I was like, okay, yeah, I see. Um, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. But I'm sorry you didn't like it as much. Um, but uh, it's it's funny. I um I, I have this thing on the episode. I don't know why I sometimes I should give my opinion first because sometimes <laughs> when I hear the other person's opinion, I think I don't want to get in an argument. Well, that, that's not going to be any fun. Um, but 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 with this one, I th- I think I think we respectfully disagree. On it. Yeah, I I acknowledge that my, I'm it's my own biases that. <laughs> Is, is causing me issues with this episode. Because, yeah, I mean, otherwise, you know, objectively, it's it's a, it's a good enough episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, like you said, it's it kind of feels different than, than a Tales of the Gold Monkey episode because there isn't a lot of high adventure going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little bit different, which is fine. you got to switch it up. can't always be yes. rip-roaring adventures every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. You get tired. Yes. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a perfectly it's a perfectly cromulent episode outside of my own issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're all gonna have those. We all, I I think I have. There's certain things. Um, I'm trying to think of one right now. I can't think of one right now. That's but the next the next time on this show I get to one of the episodes where there's a plot line that I have trouble with, I will bring it up and I will mention Force of Habit. Yes. And I'll, I'll probably call it Change of Habit, the Elvis Presley, Mary Tyler Moore <laughs> film. But don't worry. That's just me. So, um, um, uh, so uh, blessings on all of us. And, uh, Chris, what else do you have? Do you have any trivia or anything on this one? I do have a little bit of trivia. Um, Pamela Susan Shoup uh, was actually in the Magnum P.I. pilot. Mm. And the, because um, we didn't talk about this, but the way they stole the clipper was that they bombed a hotel room. Yes. And the victim in the hotel room bombing, because Jake says he could see someone in there, and we saw him, like, walking around prior. Um, that's Tom Green. He actually wrote the episode. Oh, wow. Okay. And he also, uh, he wrote multiple episodes of uh, Magnum P.I., as well oh, cool. as he's got 10 producer credits for Tales of the Gold Monkey and 75 writing credits, or 75 wow. producing credits, I'm sorry, wow. for uh, Magnum P.I., Whoa, that's he. He said on the com. It's it's weird. I've never encountered a series that didn't have any sort of extras until episode fifteen. Usually, someone's going to chime in. Is there an extra? Is there anything on the pilot? I don't think there's anything on the pilot. Is there? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think. Um, because usually, so. usually with shows like this, you'll get something on the pilot and then nothing else or the occasional episode but you rarely like this like i was sitting there um and i and i went to hit the display button just to check the timing and accidentally hit the audio and suddenly there was a guy talking to me about writing the episode (laughs) i was like wait a minute and i'm looking through the book i'm like the first thing and he has like three or four more before the end of the series and he's very you know he tells a good story and he says there's a shot where you see the explosion and the first time you see the explosion, the camera's like on the balcony, and you see the explosion go go you know like in front of the camera, and then there's a shot on the ground looking up at the hotel, and you see the explosion and all sorts of debris fly through the air towards the camera, and he says that he he loves explosions, 
and he puts explosions and everything. And he says, make it bigger, make it bigger. And he said he was standing like either right beneath the camera or next to the camera. The explosion went off and suddenly he said someone grabbed his back, threw him to the ground, and all of a sudden a huge piece of debris flew right where his head just was. And he says like one of the stuntmen or crew or oh, something wow. like saved saved his life. So so when you see that shot, you'll know when you see it, it's the one on the ground where everything flies. The writer of that episode is standing directly beneath the camera, almost getting killed. <laughs> to some, that might be and more that's... interesting than the episode. <laughs> that's a fun bit of trivia right that, there. That, that is. I got. I got a. Yeah. So so we're gonna. We're, he's on at least two or three more commentaries here, and I did also find. And that were you done? I'm sorry with your trivia. Uh, just one other yes, thing yes. that I should have mentioned is um, the the little indigenous girl that Willie was talking with about blessings. That's actually Apollonia. You might know her from oh, Purple Rain. Yes. Oh my gosh! I was looking at her, going, I know. It's like when Nia Peoples was in the episode, uh, like a yes. few episodes ago. I sat there looking. I know you. I, yeah. I, oh my gosh! That's good. Uh, purple Rain. You know what? I uh, the previous episode, I asked you to maybe sing a standard from the twenties or thirties. But if you'd like to sing "Purple Rain," I'll join you. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a, poop, we'll, a we'll purple do a, rain we'll, duet. We'll we'll do a mini sode where we uh, have it played in the background and you and I just sing. And then when the big guitar solo comes on that goes on for three minutes, we could just go. That'll be great. It'll be great. Um, so. Um, I had something I was going to say about the episode, but I guess not. Uh, I guess it's forgotten. Um, Dan, uh, remember to edit that in here later. I'm not going to remember. <laughs> you, you just you just heard me not remembering something there, folks. I think um, uh, I do. I, I will say this for some reason because it doesn't rain here much in LA. Whenever they have a big storm, I love watching it because I love a good storm there because it looks like. It just happens, and everyone just stands around casually and just watches the big storm hit, and maybe we'll get blown away. It's a monsoon. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> We're just having fun. We'll go have a drink. You know, and, and, and I like it. The, uh, and, and, and this one, there's a storm, and um, Louie and Sarah are standing uh, in front of the swinging, um, swinging doors, and the, the nun is talking to them. And in the background, there are two extras overdoing the I'm shaking water off my umbrella. Thing. It's like, guys, you're having it up. All right? I used to do extra work. You're having it up. So the second AD should be asking you to calm that down. I can't believe Donald Belisario is letting that slip through. <laughs> what? What? Fire those extras. Donald, that was two weeks ago. Well, call them up and call them jerks. Uh, tell them they're never going to be on Magnum P.I. <laughs> Um, well, uh, do you have anything else? I, I'm all done. I think I'm all done. I, I had one thing I was going to say, but I've forgotten what it was. I have notes here like, um, uh, kissing nuns and lots of old rums. <laughs> That's an excellent note. Well, I have a note here that says, um, a nun would shoot. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, a nun probably would shoot if she thought the Lord, Lord was on her side. Yeah. She would shoot. Um... <laughs> Now, if Jesus walked up and said, please don't do that, he'd be the first one to hit the ground bleeding, I think. <laughs> um, so, I th yeah, I think I'm all set with this. Uh, we're, we're divided on this one. It's, it's, uh, if we were Siskel and Ebert, um, 
one of us would be dead. Both of us would be dead. Oh my gosh, we're not Siskel and Ebert. I'm sorry, I forgot Siskel a bit. Uh, um, so if we, but but if we were Siskel and Ebert, it would be one thumbs up, one thumbs down. I think on this episode, but that's okay. Um, uh, so um, this wasn't based on a Magnum PI episode, was it? No, this one wasn't. Okay, all right. This wasn't based on the Elvis Presley. No, I won't ask. Um, <laughs> What what what? Um, so if you're all done, where can we find you online? How you doing? You can find me at akakikirights.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five O podcast. You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want to know the TV things that I don't like in real time, <laughs> you can find those out by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. I would love to see you write an article like ten TV tropes I don't like. Okay, I'm writing that down. That's going to go that, on that on AKA Kiki writes. Just you know, stay tuned. That would that would be great. I guess I guess I should. I'm trying. Whatever. Jeez, there must be. I I know there are some things that I don't. I that just when I see them coming, they drive me up the wall. I can't think of one right now. I love everything right now. I suddenly I love everything. Bring it on. Bring it on, world. I'll watch it all. My mother in the car. I'm there. Let's do it. So, um, uh, so that is the end of this. Oh, yes, and, uh, oh, okay. Um, uh, I think we have something new coming up, ladies and gentlemen. And, um, normally we put the new stuff at the end, but I've decided I'm going to sneak it in the middle here just for fun. So we got something new happening, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, um, I'm, I'm going to say one word raisins. Tonight, from the raisin capital of the world, the epic story of two feuding Fresno families begins. Tyler Kane and Charlotte Kensington locked in a desperate battle for control of an empire. Without the Kensingtons, Fresno would be nothing. Kane Kensington, his half-baked schemes could destroy a dynasty. But his wife, Talon, has other plans. But I can't stand by a man who can't stand by his own brother. I can't stand it. And Torch, if he had one, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Carol Burnett, Daphne Coleman, Charles Grodin, Terry Gar, and Gregory Harrison are all in Fresno. Where did you find these? Over there. They're good, yes? Ah. Then word to Her Majesty that God has smiled on us. Gentlemen, we have found the fruit of life. It is here where our children and our children's children will play and grow. The grape is good. It will sustain us. Comandante! Mm. Comandante, look! Look, we have found these in the valley beyond. Call these grapes? They taste like Fresno! Welcome, everyone, to Fresno. We are... In 1986, in fact, today we are on November 16th, 1986, and our first miniseries we're discussing here, which is Fresno, a six-hour miniseries airing in five parts, two-hour opener, which we're talking about today, and then four hour-long parts, which we'll talk about in the next four episodes. And this one, we got two uh, super wealthy families, the Canes and the Kensingtons. The Kensingtons are our main focus. Carol Burnett's the matriarch. Uh, the Canes, uh, Damon Coleman is in charge of that family, although we actually see, I think, one other member of that family. I could could be wrong on that, but a whole lot of characters in this. It's a satire on late-night soap operas at the time, and I'll, I'll talk about all that. 
within the uh, segment itself. But um, I don't want to go too in detail into it because it's just basically they're fighting over who who's in charge of the big, you know, who's the who's the king slash queen of the Raisin Empire of Fresno. Is it the Kensingtons? Is it the Canes? And we talk a lot about it right after this little burst of music on the other side. Welcome to Fresno, everybody. The uh, uh, this is this is the first miniseries we've covered on here, and uh, miniseries I watched when it originally aired November of 1986 as a wee lad of 13, uh, and um, I have with me here the great, the wonderful Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I am ready to talk drama and raisins, Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm excited. I. Uh, this is. Um, this is. This is. Um, this this is something I had not watched in a long time, and um, when I originally watched it, um, of course I I knew of Dallas and Dynasty. If you if you were a kid in the in the eighties, you could not not know of those shows. My mom watched Dallas, and I for about three or four months watched Dynasty to the Colbys, which was in its second and final season when this when this miniseries aired. Um, but I just wanted to give a, a brief. Um, a primetime soap opera chat before we dive into our discussion of the first episode of Fresno, which is a two-hour episode, which aired on Sunday. I've already given you the date, but aired on the Sunday. Um, uh, but the 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 the, the primetime. So I mean, we had Peyton Place back in the '60s, but really the first primetime soap opera proper was Dallas, uh, which began in March of '78 as a not a miniseries per se, but as five tryout episodes. They did that a lot in the '70s. You'd get a show that Future Cop is an example of what had six episodes. Dallas had five. It did pretty well, and so it came back and it ran from March of 1978 till May of 1991. Uh, which is which is li- literally that is it started when I was in kindergarten and ended when I graduated high school. So Dallas was literally on the entirety of my school years, apart from college, of course. Um, which is astounding when I think of it. Maybe not when you think of it, but learn to be astounded more. You'll love life more. Um, uh, so so I, so obviously in the first half of the the eighties, uh, the the the, so, the primetime soap opera was huge. Dallas for five years from 80 to 85 was either number one or number two each of those years. And the only times it got beat were by 60 Minutes and one time by Dynasty. And Dynasty was the other huge one. Dynasty began in 80, I think. I think in 80 or 81. I always forget which. It ended in 89. It ran for... Jeez, I think it ran for nine years, and and like I said, Dallas ran for about fourteen. Um, but uh, uh, and then there were other shows like Knots Landing, which was a spinoff from Dallas with Gary, Jr. and and Bobby's um, brother, uh, and Falcon Crest, and um, lesser known shows like uh, The Yellow Rose with Sybil Shepherd and Sam Elliott, which is a lot of fun, which only ran for one season. Um, but by the time you hit, um, uh. 1985-86 season. That was the, um, I think it was season uh, nine of Dynasty and season six of, no, nine of Dallas, six of Dynasty. I'm remembering these all these from my head, folks. I, I should have written something down. Um, that that was the the infamous dream season of Dallas, and that was the season where the sitcoms took over, and that was the season where from 1985-86 to basically 1990-91. Cosby Show, Family Ties, or Cosby Show, Different World, Cheers, and Night Court 
were at the top of the ratings for like five years in a row. And so Dallas and Dynasty gradually dropped and dropped and dropped in the ratings. But when this aired in November of 86, Dallas was in its 10th season, which was the first season after the dream season. So everything rolls, Bobby's in the shower, everything rolls back 30 episodes. And they actually do a really nice job of it. If you if you actually watch it now, um, it's actually really nicely done because things that rotten stuff characters have done go away. Good stuff characters have done go away. Everything, regardless of whether it was good, bad, indifferent, goes away. And we're back at the spot where we were, which also means that from that point on, Dallas is one year behind every other TV show, which is interesting. Or, or again, not. Um, but so, so at that point, I think Dallas, the year this aired, I think Dallas was like number 11 in the ratings. And, but, and Dynasty had, had gone to like 24, 25. So, so they were beginning to drop, but they were still very, very popular. Falcon Crest was still on. Knott's Landing would, I think Knott's Landing went on two, two or three years after Dallas. So, so everyone, this, so Fresno is, everybody knows the shows that Fresno is making fun of. And um, and Fresno, if you didn't know better, you might think is one of those shows it's making fun of um, because it's very close to it, very, very close to it at times. So I just wanted to say, Kristen, um, have you, are, are you a fan in any way, shape, or form of any of those Dallas Dynasty, Falcon Crest, Knott's Landing, any of the others? Um. I, no, I can't say that I'm a fan. I didn't. My my parents didn't watch the nighttime soaps, mm. and like so, the only time I actually got to watch them was if I went to my grandma's house because she watched them. So uh. I watched. I would only watch Dallas at her house. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, I was. I would have been like you were six when Fresno came yes. out. Yes. Yeah. So my 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 life then was the Golden Girls, Murder She Wrote, mm-hmm. A Team, Airwolf, and MacGyver. That's that was Perfect. my life. Yeah. For television. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Dallas Dynasty wasn't wasn't really geared towards me. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really that interested. So, um, what I know of those shows are just basically from pop culture and from what little I I got to watch them at my grandmother's house, Mm -hmm. which makes watching Fresno very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like like I said, I I watch occasional episodes here and there, and about three months worth of Dynasty Two, the Colbys, but them starting in two thousand. Five to about 2010 or 11, my wife and I watched all 14 seasons of Dallas and the three TV movies over oh, in a row over those like six, seven, however many years I just said. And so I, I became very immersed in it much more than I ever had when I was a kid and found it a lot of fun to watch. So then when I came back to Fresno and watched it again, it was like, oh yeah, it was it was very. Um, there's there's a lot of great stuff and it's very funny. So so I'll ask. So I'll stop. That's that's the soap opera. That's the soap opera lesson. Kristen, what did you think sitting down with without as much knowledge of of the way soap operas work? Sitting down with his first the two hour episode of Fresno. And one quick note. It's as far as I can tell, unless someone taped Fresno off the air, and I almost did. When we get to the fifth episode, four, no wait, two, fourth episode. Oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you why I didn't. Because we got enough to talk about right here. But this was the time period when I was taping everything I could on beta. Um, and this, I didn't tape for a reason. Um, and 
but I will I will just ask Kristen, what did you think of the first two hour episode of Fresno, which for us is going up to the point where we're in Earl's trailer and Charlotte tries to seduce him, but apparently and I'm sorry, but I don't remember the name of the young Oh, the it's niece. Candy. Candy, Her yes. Candy but Kane. it looks it look it looks like Candy. Yes, Candy Kane has seduced Earl. And everyone rushes out and Earl says, what the hell just happened? Or what the hell happened here? That's where we're ending the, the episode because there are two ways to watch the show right now. You can watch it on YouTube where someone's edited all the episodes together. Or there's a two-part version with parts one and two together and three, four, and five together. But there's no distinguishing between the end of part one and part two. So we took a thematic guess. So we are ending at that moment. So that's what we're talking up to. Kristen, what did you think of this 90 wonderful minutes? Oh, did I give something away how much I like it? Uh, what did you think of Fresno? <laughs> well, I'll be honest, because I don't have a lot of background with the, the nighttime soaps. I, I will say, though, that the opening credits were dead on. But... I, when I first started watching it, I'm like, I don't know how well I'm going to vibe with this because I don't have the all that background. I do like funny stuff. I do like send-ups, you know, spoofs and stuff. But I was just like, I don't know. And then it got to the point where um, the the hoodlums there throw all the raisins on the ground and Mr. Kane's car backs over them repeatedly <laughs> when they're leaving. They're like, yes. come on, let's get out of here. And he just rolls it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I can, I can vibe with this. This is going to be fine. <laughs> I, I really did enjoy this episode quite a bit because it starts off quite serious and you can definitely, even with my limited knowledge, I can pick up those moments that are very much nighttime soapish and very mm -hmm. like almost serious, but it's got a lot of humor that, <laughs> that I really, I really enjoy, and I really enjoyed learning about the Kensingtons and mm -hmm. Tyler Kane and Torch without his shirt, <laughs> and and all of that. So I think for for kicking off a miniseries, I thought it was a very good episode. <laughs> what do you think of it? I agree. Um, it's because uh, it's it, yeah, it starts off with that moment in is it fifteen eighty one? I I forget where it is where the the conquistadors are t trying the grapes. And um, uh, one of them comes up. One of them who looks like Sid Haig. I didn't actually look to see who that was. Um, comes up and gives the main conquistador some grapes. And he eats the grapes. And these are wonderful. We'll settle here. And then two goofy-looking conquistadors covered in leaves who are apparently doing, like, guerrilla work somewhere, like undercover work, come up with some other grapes. He takes a bite of one, and he says, these taste like Fresno. And boom, we go right into it. And, yeah, the, the opening credits are spot on where the music has kind of a southern western tinge but then it also has kind of like that yeah kind of mm, yeah this is yeah big and exciting and and you're right the i think now juan is great and juan's <laughs> reactions to the guys kind of pushing him around <laughs> are very funny and then with gregory harrison without the shirt on walks slowly down the road and everyone's looking at him like you know, who uh, is this good? Is this bad? Is this um, why doesn't he have the shirt on? And and, you, and you're, you're absolutely right that the the, um, the the moment where the car begins to go stops, backs up over the grapes, begins to go, backs up over the grapes, and then it cuts to a close up of Juan and Torch, and they're looking at the car going. Then all of a sudden you follow their eye line as they look back to, and you the car backs <laughs> backs over it again. I thought that is sweet. And the episode has several really nice 
comedy moments like that, which are more... Um, wh- wh- when when the show originally aired, I, I thought it was going to be more airplane, Zucker Abram Zucker style. It's drier than that, but it does have moments like that. There's a moment in a prison visiting room um, where they do that, and there's a moment with the chauffeur trying to open some gates. There's a moment when Talon takes her top off. Um, there, there are some very airplane-like moments, or Zucker Abrams Zucker style moments. This is before Naked Gun, um, but after, of course, Police Squad and, and Top Secret and such. And 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 I, I, I think when this came out, we all thought, and when I say we all thought, that would be me. Because um, this this was during the two year period eighty five to eighty six eighty six eighty seven where I got the TV guide every week I used to circle things I wanted to watch I would highlight things I really wanted to watch I had a stack of beta tapes that weren't cheap that I would buy with the allowance that I got from doing lots and lots of junk around our house um, and I would tape everything hell I taped all the episodes of Life with Lucy and I don't know where they are now. But I taped them, and so I taped everything. And 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 like I said, I will tell you in episode four why I why Fresno was not recorded. But I was just th- this just came at the perfect time where I'd started watching Dynasty to the Colbys, and I just watched it. And although I wasn't as um, conversant at that time as I am now in in the the tropes of the the late night soap operas, you, you can't you can't not laugh. I mean, everyone's so good in it the cast is astoundingly astounding throughout and um <laughs> and it's just it's i i will say this the uh it's so it's a two-hour episode it's about 90 minutes and it kind of flies by it it really goes by quickly which i loved and um and I guess I, I guess not. I, I don't know how 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 do we discuss. I mean, I, I was actually going to suggest maybe we try um, rather than going like favorite scenes, maybe we we discuss some characters and some of the actors. Okay, we can do that. All right, who would you like to see? You want to start with Carol Burnett? Yes, let's. Obviously, we must start with the matriarch. Yes, she's uh, she's um she's the uh, Miss Ellie of this Miss Ellie um or is it Barbara Delgetti's the um. Uh, that the um, the head the, the owner of South Fork in Dallas, um, and and now of course in Dallas for the first four seasons she had Jock her husband, but Jock dies in a mysterious plane crash in the Amazon in season as you as happens in season four of Dallas, which was like back in 1982 or something like that. Um, but but here Charlotte um, Charlotte is is the the matriarch of the Kensington clan. And her, her and her husband Yancey, along with Tyler Kane, who's Dabney Coleman, sort of started this whole raisin thing. But then a clash rose up, as it does, um, between the 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 Canes and the the Kensingtons. And um, Yancey dies in a mysterious hydrator accident. <laughs> and now Charlotte is there, doing her best to be the absolute, absolute. Um, I, 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 um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a descript, description for her. She's like the the absolute grand grand dame, or so, you know, she's like she she has the best clothes and the best hair, and she has the best everything. But apparently, they're pretty much out of cash, 
and things are going so great. And one of the fantastic running jokes is whenever she asks the chauffeur to take her out in the rolls, all he has is the station wagon with the big bucket seat in the back. And um, and she is just fantastic. I've always loved Carol Burnett. I've watched Carol Burnett since I was a kid. On um, Not in the primetime Carol Burnett, because that ended before I, I was born, I think. Or did it? I, no, it didn't. It was still on. But I watched it like the half-hour Carol Burnett shows and things. But what did you think of her? What do you think of Charlotte? Oh, I adore Charlotte. Um, <laughs> just because she does have that grand dame, matriarch, yes. you know, thing going on. She's always so impeccably well-dressed. Um, and, but I, the one thing I, I did really like, um, is that yes, her, her husband, Yancey, who helped build this, uh, raisin empire, Empire. (laughs) you know, dies mysteriously in a dehydrator accident. And she's telling Torch this because she's hired Torch as a farmhand because he obviously doesn't have a shirt. He's Gregory Harrison without a shirt. You're going to hire him for anything. And they're leading them. She's leading him through the was it the rose garden or whatever yes, that used to be Yancey's it's covered in cobwebs, cobwebs yes because <laughs> she has to think keeping it up um <laughs> and to the dehydrator while she's explaining how her husband you know mysteriously died and speaking of Zucker Abram Zucker I knew this this sight gag was coming because he falls into the dehydrator and like these boxes start coming out on the oh, conveyor yes. belt and like one's one's coming out with a hat. I know one's coming out with a hat, and one came out with a hat, and I still laughed hysterically. Yes, the, <laughs> they did. They did it. Hat. They did it beautifully because they they left it like a box or two longer than you'd think. Yeah. So it's like here comes the hat. Oh no, there's no hat. Here comes no, there's no hat. Here comes the, is the hat. Oh, there's the hat, and you laugh. <laughs> It was just so good. I knew it was coming and just mm-hmm. ca- still cackled. But she's telling all of this to Torch, and Torch is like, well, don't you think that's yes. you know, suspicious? And she's like, I didn't until now. Until now. <laughs> and, and, like, and, yeah, t- Tiffany says something. Like, is it later in this episode? Tiffany does the same thing, doesn't she? Like, Or is it in the next episode? No, it's the next episode. Sorry. I think it's the next episode she does it, too. And it's just mm-hmm. like, hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, the fact that she just like, because we you need that exposition, mm-hmm. right, to explain mm-hmm. where what the whole story is, and I just loved that. That's how they decided to work in the mysterious death was yes. just to have her explaining this to this ranch, this random ranch hand who showed up for mysterious reasons. And she's and she's just telling him because he's kind of he's really good looking and he's he's glistening. Yes. You know, in, in this, because in this, he's Gregory Harrison without a shirt. Because he's Gregory Harrison without a shirt. Come on. <laughs> uh, then, now, yeah. who's 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 Gregory Harrison's wife? She's the woman from uh, Chips. I've forgotten her name. She was on. Um, I'll, I'll remember her name. But she was there's there's that famous episode of Battle of the Network Stars where um, she has him sit on the the dunk tank thing, mm-hmm. and that's the first time they ever meet when she dunks him. Or did she, I forget, and they, they sort of, you could see them chatting with each other, and it's like two years later they got married. And that's that's oh, no, where that's they met. Oh, that's a story. I, I, I forget her name, but yeah, it's like, you you just see him up there, and it's like, he's, he's a hunk, he's walking around, he's a hunk. What are you going to do? You know, and that's all the cop. Randy Oaks? Yes, Randy, Randy Oaks. Oaks. Sorry, yes, it's Randy Oaks, yes, yes, yes. Yes, that, yes. that's, um, but yeah, you can, uh, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off during the middle of that, but it's Gregory oh. Harrison with the top on, uh, top off, top on? Yeah, top, top on, top off. No, he's topless. Top um, yeah, but you know, you get that the 
and I do love that they're sitting around at the, the, the breakfast table in the morning, her and her children and, you know, Kane's wife, Terry Gar, and they're all, everybody but Tiffany's drinking Bloody Mary's. And, (laughs) (laughs) which, of course, it's breakfast. And she's, you know, at the head of the table, as she should be. And at one point, Kevin, who's an environmentalist, makes this big speech about how he's going to be celibate to protest, I don't know, something about the environment, the killing of elephants. No, killing of sperm whales. Sperm whales, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he's going to be celibate. And she listens to his spiel and just goes, that's nice, darling. (laughs) Is this the this is the this is the same scene where um where um uh, uh Kane is talking about um um uh taking over this and getting on top of this or something like that and Tiffany says uh, something like at every breakfast do we always have to talk about who's on top of whom yes <laughs> and it's great because Tiffany seems like so very innocent and we'll talk about her in a minute but she seems very innocent but with that line and another line later involving bareback. Um, yes. she, she, it's like she's maybe not as innocent as we think. But, yeah, uh, so. but so, so that, yeah, so, so, so Charlotte, I mean, it's Carol Burnett. She's, she's fantastic yeah. throughout. Yeah. Cause, and when she's, um, whenever she, um, she does that whole like ground on makes a speech thing and then yells for the chauffeur. So <laughs> she just, so she punctuates that with Charles. Charles. It just cracks me up every single time. <laughs> yes. And then, um, uh, and yet, obviously, the, the closing scene of the episode is her trying to seduce Earl, which is hilarious. Which oh, has so good. We, we, when we get to Earl, we, we can we can we can talk more about that. But it, it's just um, I, I I love the part of the thing of her character is that um, she's very she has sort of a very well Miss Ellie was very much a Southern belle in Dallas. Fresno is I'm much more south right now than Fresno is. Fresno is way up there compared to where I am in Los Angeles. So it ain't Southern Belly where where Fresno is. Fresno is, I don't even know where the hell Fresno is. Middle middle California, Northern California, I don't know. But it ain't really Southern Belle, but I love that they make her like that. And she's walking with her little umbrella, and she's very, sort of everything's slightly affected, and she's just like, but she's, she, but she, it's Carol Burnett, so you love her. And you wanted to win and beat Dabney Coleman, who we'll talk about next, who plays um, and I'm 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 getting the name so it's T- Tyler Kane because we got Kane Kensington and Tyler Kane, mm-hmm. and so Dabney we don't we don't really see him much in this episode, but but of course he's 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 your classic um, because. The Kensies don't really have a Jr. because the thing about Jr. was Jr. was ruthless and very good at what he did. We'll talk about Charles Grodin's character in a minute, um, but 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 Tyler Kane is very much he's that perfect Dabney Coleman character. You know, he's that perfect sort of um, sleazy kind of guy. And I think uh, I think he's he's pretty he, well. Of course, he gets that first scene with um, with his niece in the car and running over the raisins. And uh, what, what did you what did you think of Ty, uh, as 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 a, as a nemesis? Oh, he's just classic. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, it's Dabney Coleman doing it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he has just a gift when it comes to playing that character that that is smarmy, and um, you just kind of want to punch him in the face because they're just so 
infuriating, Mm -hmm. but you also can't help but admire them because they're so crafty and also they tend to be funny and very snarky. And yeah, Dabney Coleman, I mean, he's brilliant. He pulls it off just so beautifully. Yeah, he, they're, that, just that, that moment when they're in the, uh, when they're in the, what, the big meeting? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, you didn't even serve food. You had like cheese and crackers or something. You know, we had raisin salad. And then you can see, you can see the great moment where, um, um, all, everyone at the table, all these board members of the raisin committee or whatever stand up and say, let the two titans battle. And they leave. And Charles Grodin is sitting there. And he looks around and goes, well, I'm a Titan, aren't I? <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he leaves. But D- Dabney Coleman isn't this much, so let's, let's hop on. Let's talk about Kane. Because, as, as Charlotte said, after Yancey died, she spent a lot of time raising Kane. <laughs> hey! And- yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> and, and so, so what do you think of Charles Grodin's kid? Because I thought, I thought he was going to be more like a Jr., but he's kind of not. I think Charles Grodin is brilliant in this role because <laughs> there are there are scenes when it's very much where he could be like a Jr. character almost, but he's just very much the nighttime soap yes. main guy type feeling. But then, like it'll click over and he whines and he kind of throws tantrums and yes. and like I mean because one of my favorite scenes is Kevin has found dead fish floating yes. in the river and we will get to that and he brings one up to the house where Charles Grodin's sitting by the pool and he throws it on the table and he's like Lah! and he throws it in the pool yeah yeah. but it's just like you can't picture Jr. doing that but no. for whatever reason like he does it and it's hilarious and I just love that he walks that line where he can be very serious and it's like he's very serious and very conniving mm-hmm. and everything like that he's he's playing the game that Tyler Kane is playing yes. but then you know he's whining about um, you know his brother you know yeah, caring about fish or you know being not being a titan too and mm-hmm. yeah yeah like well, well I'm a titan it's, aren't I yeah <laughs> Because Jr. Just, would not so have left good. the room. Yeah, J- no, and you could, no. You you think he's going to be, but he and and part of the fun, one of the the running gags, and I don't know if you fully realize it in this episode, but one of sort of the running things is that Tal and his wife is always accusing him of having affairs, but the only affair he's ever had was with her mm-hmm. on his first wife. She's the one that is constantly going on. He's actually <laughs> working, trying to save the family, but she's constantly accusing him of having affairs. But he's not. It's just because Jr. used to do that all the time. Jr. was either if Jr. wasn't home with Sue Ellen, he was either doing something businessy or having an affair, and that was mm-hmm. just and and so there's something wonderful about this where you realize after a time that Talon keeps accusing him of having affairs, but he's not. He's actually trying to do the the um, further the family business, but he's he's either doing a bad job of it, or he's just like involving himself with Mister Acme and just doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. And um, and 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 I will say the great thing about that um the the scene where where Kevin slaps the fish down is that <laughs> as Kevin has just come out of the water, so he has his full on like snorkeling scuba gear on. So he's got the thing over his nose. So the more he talks, the more he sounds like I'm going to take care of this. And he's got the the flipper things on. Mm-hmm. 
So when he walks away, they're slapping the ground and he looks ridiculous. And that's the... <laughs> the comedy in this is sort of all over the place. There are clever lines. There, uh, the the scene where the chauffeur is trying to open the gates, and 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 Kane and his mom are in the foreground, and the chauffeur is like struggling, like ten feet off the ground with these gradually opening gates. You know, you get that kind of Zucker Abram Zucker humor. Um, then you get like wider brands of humor, like when Kevin dives in the water and Juan gets pulled off the dock. <laughs> kind of thing you get you get all sorts of all sorts of humor in in, in this um and and then other humor like you know you got billy joe and bobby joe or bill billy yeah billy joe about and they're the billy billy joe, no it's billy and bobby joes and then you have a child named bj and just this all this ridiculous wonderful stuff that that f- flies at you um uh so let's go to another character let's do you pick a character who do you want to talk about Okay, so we just talked about Kane. Let's talk about his wife, his second wife, Talon. Yes. Who is Terry Gar? <laughs> great name. Yes, the great, the great Terry Gar. I always loved. I've always loved Terry Gar. And if she, and if if Talon had asked me to, I would have taken a roll in the hay with her. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll all, we'll dive in. It'll be crazy. Yes. <laughs> It'll be a we'll family. We'll do it. Party. <laughs> yeah, I, I did like I I did like what you pointed out that Talon's always accusing him of having of Kane of having an affair and he's not and then she thinks he does and so she starts trying to have affairs with she tra- she goes after Torch at one point and she goes after Billy Joe and who is Bill Paxton? Yes, for heaven's well, sake! <laughs> I marked out so hard when I saw his name in the credits. I was like, yeah, but it was one of the funniest scenes, at least for me. Is that because one of the recurring things that happens throughout this miniseries is they keep throwing drinks in each other's faces, <laughs> yes. which I think is great. Yeah. But when he she goes to seduce Billy Joe in his trailer, and he doesn't want anything to do with her because he loves his wife very much, and he's like, "Don't be coming here, you know, because you've got a problem with your marriage." She throws a drink in his face, and he sprays her with his beer and chases her out of the trailer with it, like he sprayed like a hose spraying a dog. Yes, yeah. He, he shakes up the full beer, just yes. gives her spurts of it. And he gets Terry right in the face at one point. Yes. Oh, yeah. It looked really like, like close range. Yes. But it, it is was... just so so funny. So yes. yeah, she is definitely supposed to be the vixen. And she gets turned down left, right, and center. Yes, yes. And, and but th- there is when she goes to Torch, she does what you'd expect. Torch is in his bed. He's in the bunkhouse, and so he has no shirt on. So she takes off her shirt. <laughs> and there is an absolutely beautiful moment where he's looking at her. She's looking at him. And he says, guys, could you excuse us for a moment? And it cuts to about six really fat guys with no shirts on playing pool right behind her. And she turns and looks and kind of blushes. And the guys are like, yeah, sure. And they leave. And it's, it's, it's a hilarious moment. And it's, but that, that, that's great, too, because it's, it's got that great moment um, where – he calls her, um, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do. You know, I, I don't want a lady like you um, get in the way of whatever it is I have to do. And it's great because she pauses and says, thank you. And it's like, thank you, why? And, and and it's great because you know this joke is coming, but it's still funny. Where she's like, you know, 
I've been called, uh, and then she goes through like ten horrible names that she's been called, but I've never been called a lady. Thank you. <laughs> and she leaves. And it's great. And that that has a great follow up Zucker Abram Zucker style joke where he, um, uh, Kane's on the phone with Acme, I think, and, mm-hmm. and and Acme's kind of yelling at him about something as as Kane watches his wife come in topless, and then he looks <laughs> out the front door and they're standing there like um. I don't like um, zombies or something or statues are just all the topless guys just staring. (laughs) And it's just, it's just, it's, it's so good. And again, it's like, what was it like four years before this police squad got canceled after four episodes because they said you had to watch it to get the jokes. This, I hope is in a more enlightened time because to me, if, if you, if you're just listening to it, you're just hearing Jeffrey Jones yell at Charles Grodin for two minutes. <laughs> but if you're watching it, it's much weirder and much funnier than that. Yeah. I do I do like her interactions, her scenes with her husband. Yeah. Because they are so... He, like, calls for, like, the light of my life and stuff like that. And she's, like, really kind of cold with him because she thinks he's cheating on her. And there's one scene where um, they're at the breakfast table and she th- he throws a drink in her face and she's like, that's okay, I was about to take a sip anyway. <laughs> that's, the and, perfect, that's the perfect response to that. And, and then later he says he's going out to do something and she he asks her what her plans are and she's like, oh, I thought I'd drink a fifth of gin and slit my wrists. And he's like, well... <laughs> And he tries to give her a kiss goodbye, and she, like, leans away, and he's like, well, in any event, enjoy yourself. <laughs> and the thing is, there, there's – he has – Kane has a child there that she's yeah. a step stepmother to that Tiffany takes care of, which when you see the child later on, you're like, oh, that's right. There's a child here. <laughs> oh, God. Because that would happen in Dallas because um, you had John Ross Jr., who was played by – um, in his sort of most of the time was played by Omri Katz, who is the lead kid in Hocus Pocus and is the lead of Erie, Indiana, which we covered a long time ago on this podcast. Um, but there was also um, Bobby and Pam had an adopted child whose name I'm forgetting. Um, but but the, the, the ch- there were children in like South Fork, but you rarely sort of saw them. You saw them when they were needed in the plot, which is probably the best way to go. Uh, apart from, of course, Charlene Tilton, um, you know, uh, but that's another sort of character which we might discuss later when we talk about Candy. Um, uh, so I'm going to do. Let's do. Um, uh, how about uh, how how about how about Tiffany, the adopted daughter? Yes. Oh, Tiffany, who is just the absolute juxtaposition to every other Kensington <laughs> member because she's sweet. She doesn't want to talk about anybody uh, being on top of anybody else at the breakfast table. She's the one that looks after China, the daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she's making <laughs> Billy Joe goes to prison and she's making him raisin pudding. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. Then she ends up. What she ends up talking to to Torch, and there's obviously a connection. Yes. But she's just so sweet and innocent that she can't. You know, she doesn't she want to to think about it. She isn't quite getting there. But they do have the great joke where he. Um, well, I thought it was a great joke. Maybe I'm a big old perv, but where no, she's about she's trying joke. she's trying to put the saddle on the horse, and then. Um, uh, and Torch comes up and says, let me help you with that. I'm sorry, I'm having such trouble with it today. And he kind of takes the saddle off and looks at her and says, 
well, have you ever tried bareback? And she looks at him and she says, you mean on the horse, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a dirty joke. That's such a dirty joke. I I don't think I would have got that when I was 13. And I was watching it, but that's a hilariously dirty joke. I absolutely love it. And I love the fact that the, the innocent girl said it. And then as he's watching her go off into the sunset, riding bareback, and he's standing there looking hunky, glistening, and she's just on the horse going, ow, ow, ooh, ah, <laughs> kind of almost falling <laughs> off. As, um, the, the, it's a funny show. But yeah, T- Tiffany is a great character because you can tell there's going to be something there with her and Torch. I don't know if it's a romance. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in ages. But you can tell there's something building there. Like when they meet later on at the dehydrator. You know, and you, 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 something, something's going to happen there. But let's see. So we got that. And then there's Kevin, who is the... Um, who um, I think Kane may... I forget how Kane describes him. But... Um, not very nicely. Yes, I was going to say, not very nicely. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, that is the one drawback to Kane's character is that the homophobia did not age very well. Yeah, that's... And um... it's not like... He doesn't, like, call him, like, real serious slurs, but it's still he's it's insulting him. And yeah. Yeah, that's a bit of a drawback. But Kevin doesn't seem to really notice, and that's fine. He's mm. too busy with his environmental causes. And so he is so distraught over walking by their water, their river, and seeing that there's a dead fish in it. He flounders into the water, and at what, and he like is collecting these dead fish. At one point, he tries to give CPR to one of the fish. Yes, He's blowing yes. in its gills. Yeah, yeah. It's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. What do you do? But I mean, you you're can... panicking. They're they're popping up all over. Yeah. <laughs> But you could, like, totally buy Kevin actually doing that because he just seems to be on that level. Mm-hmm. He's, oh, yeah, it was, he's interesting. He's easy because, yeah, he the moment he finds the, the toxic waste barrel, the Acme, yes. he, he storms over to Acme, and there's an absolute great scene where he, he meets up with the with um, Mr. Mr. I love that Ac, Acme toxic waste. <laughs> what else would they do? And Mr. Acme is like, I don't know anything about this. Let let me check with my foreman. He goes in the next room, kill Kevin Kensington. Comes back, my foreman doesn't know what's going on. And then Kevin gets in his car, and as he's driving away, Mr. Acme's car blows up. And you see the two like you see the two like you know uh, assassin guys standing there going, we we put the bomb in the wrong car. <laughs> yeah. Because it's two, because they're both driving the same truck, and Ke- yeah. and Kevin, in his rage, parked in Acme's spot. So Acme mm-hmm. had his part next to him in the visitor spot, and so it's just like you think it's going to be one thing because he's just, you know, obviously Acme's pissed that somebody parked in his spot. So you're mm-hmm. really kind of not paying that much of attention until the truck blows. Yes. <laughs> yes, and, and then you're and like, that ah, one... yes, the payoff. <laughs> Yes, you you can for, you can forgive the guys that because you know yeah. they were, uh, um, and there is there is fun car stuff in this episode because we'll get we'll get the Earl character coming up who um, he he will sell the water rights and I, I and and I already talked about the water rights in, in my plot breakdown. He'll sell the water rights as long as he can get a Chevy Impala. And we get the great, you drive a hard bargain, Earl. No, 
I drive an Impala. Or is it drive a Chevy? I forget what he says. Either one, it's great. It's an Impala. I drive an Impala. Yeah. And then we do get, like I said, that great moment where um, they're going to the big um, raisin conglomerate meeting and 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 Kane and his mom have to sit in the bucket seat in the back of the station wagon. <laughs> Which is where you used to put the dumb kids or the kids you didn't like if you were in the station wagon back. <laughs> bag in there you know because it's like the station wagon you had the the big front seat you had the big back seat and you had the big space in the back and most of the time it was just an empty space you'd pack stuff in but some of them had a seat you could put it was like a not quite a rumble seat imagine like a rumble seat like in a 50s car but not cool that's what this was And, and it was very awkward to get into unless you were small if you were small you could you know you could climb right in but if you're carol burnett's height with high heels that are probably making you four or five inches taller, <laughs> you look ridiculous getting into it. It's, 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 and it's hilarious. The moment they go out and it's a, I couldn't get the Rolls Royce, ma'am. It's not working. And you see a station wagon. You're like, the, the only thing worse, and this, um, and this is a pure mid 80s, um, reference, is if it had been a Chevy Chevette. <laughs> which is the car my my three aunts my aunt elaine my aunt lynette my aunt cindy were known as the chevette sisters for because <laughs> because about three years they all had these little chevettes and there was chevette was this little tiny car this little dinky thing i guess it was okay they seemed to like it but it was like a station wagon with a rumble seat in the back which was for rumbling was the second most embarrassing thing car you could own at that time apart from uh, a chevette pintos were long gone i think by that time so you don't have to worry about those so let's let's let, let let's let's hop through with just a few more of the characters so we have torch obviously we love torch he's topless he has a um an agenda yes he's As, he's there it's a mysterious sort of agenda Yes, yes. Um, let's see. This uh, there's top. I was going to say there's topless. That that ain't right. And so we get the J- Bobby and Billy, who yes. are our rednecky uh, couple. Uh, it's Bill Paxton. I forget. I forget her name, but she's great. You'll know her the moment you see her. You'll know her. She has got kind of a higher squeaky voice, um, but she's adorable. Teresa Gansel. Yes, and she's wonderful. And she has. She's very much like um, she she's the southern gal with the like um. Oh geez, I should have written that. the the Mary Hartman Mary Hartman character. Um, I forget that the Mary, Mary Kay plays, I believe plays. Um, she, she's sort of that sort of thing. She's she's got these country songs and she's going to make it big, but she's got this sort of the husband and Bill Paxton, who's more of a regular sort of husband. They live, they live in a trailer and they have a little little boy named I guess B J. Bob. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and. They they get actually the the one of the things I, I like about this episode is that some of the plotting is very sort of satire obvious like you know it's going to go there because that's what they're making fun of but then every once in a while they'll pull a fast one on you like um, is it Billy shooting the radio yes and and then accidentally shooting Earl's wife. Um, Whose Ethel. name I didn't write? Ethel. Earl's wife accidentally shooting Earl's wife Ethel and causing the sort of uproar in who can get control of the water rights. And that I wasn't expecting that at all, and I completely forgot that that happened when I was rewatching it, because all I was thinking was, whenever Robert Goulet was on television, 
Elvis Presley used to shoot the TV. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking of because a few minutes before, Kane, Tyler, Kane threatens Ethel with an Elvis figurine, but then he stops <laughs> when he realizes it's the king. So the yeah. moment, so the moment his wife is on there and she thanks Kane. And he's going to shoot all I thought it was Elvis shooting Robert Goulet. <laughs> uh, but but then he shoots, and it's really nicely done because he shoots it, and you don't even think about it. It goes through the trailer, and then all of a sudden you just see Ethel kind of, her body arcs up, and she drops to the ground. You're like, oh, that's not going to be good. And so the, the, the plotting in this is really, it's got that soap opera sort of thing where some of it's very deliberately slow, but then every once in a while you get a boom moment that changes mm-hmm. everything which i really like because it is because I, I i really do think this is kind of one of those things where um if you didn't know it was a parody and you didn't know the actors you might not realize well i mean maybe the chauffeur climbing on the gates might give it away <laughs> but but you, you 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 might you might not fully realize that it's a full on parody because it's so close to what it's um what it's based on um, and let me just uh, the last couple of characters I was going to say Juan Juan's fantastic oh I love Juan Juan um, I forget that the, the, the actor's name is Louis El- Elvez is that Avalos 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 sorry um, and he was I grew up with him on the electric company he was one of the main guys on the electric company along with Rita Moreno and um well, for the first season, Bill Cosby, but um, you know a lot of other great um, Spider-Man, you know, was on there. Um, but e- Electric Company was a show um, uh, like Sesame Street taught you the basics. Then Electric Company took it the second second level. But by the time I started watching Electric Company, I already knew how to read, so I was just <laughs> watching it because it's a fun, silly sketch show. And he was one of the main guys on it, and he's fantastic. And he pops up in a lot of times. He's so good as Juan in this because he just wants a raise. He just wants, <laughs> he just wants a little something, and he's just not getting anything. And he's very funny, and he's got some some great delivery throughout throughout the episode. So I'm I'm Team Juan. I am I too. He... I mean, from the beginning when the <laughs> the hoods there, chains yes. are roughing him up, and Torch yeah. comes up and he's like, "Is there a problem?" And they're like, "No problem." And Juan's like, "I have a problem." <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, and I, th- I think um, I think we covered most of the main characters. I guess I guess we'll do. Um, well, we don't see Candy much. We only see her briefly um, in her. We're taking her to high school, and she's very Lolita y. Mm-hmm. And then um, we see her in the final scene with Earl. Let's talk about Earl. Let's talk about the final scene, and then we can. I, I, folks, there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, and we could probably spend an hour talking about our favorite moments but i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk earl we'll talk the final scene and then anything else you want to mention and then we'll just go on because i don't i want folks to watch this yes earl is magnificent yes tell me more tell me more (laughs) well it's just like because he's he's obviously supposed to be like presented as kind of a slovenly not too bright um you know now widower because you know his wife was doing all of the water rights. His wife owned all the property, all of that stuff. And so, hey, um, hey, when Tyler Kane shows up to to his trailer to give his pay his respects, because you know, I know that 
Ethel's only been gone a few hours, but have you been thinking about selling the water right? <laughs> mostly I've been trying to find a slow leak in my tires. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the way he says it that makes mm-hmm. it like ten times funnier. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. so good. And then him, and then Tyler Kane saying you drive a hard bargain. He's like, no, I drive an Impala. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a great – and Earl takes the perfect pause there too. Because yeah. I think he takes a couple puffs off the cigar. No, I drive an Impala. I was like, yes. Yeah, the the delivery is amazing, especially when you get to the end and you have Charlotte who's trying to seduce him because you know they know Tyler Kane has the money, but she has something else. And Kane wanted to send Talon, but Talon wouldn't go. <laughs> yeah. And and. Charlotte Kane insists because she is the matriarch, and she said, if anyone's going to be debased, it's going to be me. <laughs> yes, yes. And she shows up, and let's just say it, Carol Burnett was absolutely stunning in that dress. Yes. Just absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. And she's mm-hmm. trying to <laughs> seduce him, and he's like, she he asks if she wants to sit down, and she looks around, and she's like, no, I think I'll stay in. I'll stay, yeah. And then he's like, I'll, you know, if you ask about if he wants anything to drink and she's like, well, I'll have white wine if you have it. And he goes, I don't. And she goes, well, I'll have what you're having. And he just hands her his beer. Yes. I mean, it's just great, great yes. little things like that mm-hmm. on top of, you know, everything else. And then Candy comes out of the shower and it, it's implying that he has already been seduced by this, you know, teenager. Yes. And, um, <laughs> Because she's in the towel, she's like only in a towel, so it's like, yeah, mm, okay, gosh, and, Earl. And uh, you know, Charlotte loses her mind and mm-hmm. says that you know, obviously Tyler has sent his niece over to seduce you, and said something about Kane wanting to send his wife. And Earl's like, "Well, you tell her she's welcome." Yes, yeah. he's very accommodating. He's very... he is, especially when you find out that Candy was only over there to take a shower. Yes, that that's that's something I'd like to, to talk about real quick right after. Please do. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was going to say so. So when when Tyler is getting in, Dabney Coleman is getting in his, and he's talking to what's his what's his show for name? Is it Troy? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think so. And he's saying, "I well, as of tomorrow at noon, we're going to have this. Uh, we're going to have the water rights, and we're going to be the biggest raisin people in Fresno." And he says, "But what if Charlotte tries something that I can't do with money? I made to to, to to do something." And so, and so, I was thinking it's it's interesting because you think when Candy comes out and she's in the towel, you you think the exact same thing. Um, uh, Charlotte thinks, which is how could you, Earl? And and but that's that's a great moment in the episode because when Candy steps out, one of my the line that always makes me laugh, and it's not going to be as funny when I say it, but Candy suddenly steps out, and 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 Charlotte is at the height of her seduction right there. She's like Earl doesn't seem to know what's going on, but he seems interested in whatever it is because because Carol Carol and Charlotte she looks absolutely incredible, but she's also Maybe slightly overdressed for seduction. <laughs> she's dressed for like a, a big debutante ball or something rather than like Talon when she shows up and sees Billy Joe. She's dressed for seduction. Um, um, 
I guess they're from different eras, I guess, of seduction. Um, and Earl was probably never seduced, so he just probably sat around and things happened. I, I, I like to think that maybe Earl was sitting in the middle of this field and they built a trailer park around him. <laughs> uh, and, and so, and so, 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 so when Candy steps out and says, "Do you have any champ?" Now, is Earl's what is Earl's last name? Is it Duke? Duke. Or is it Duke? Okay. Um, and Candy steps out. And suddenly you get this 16-year-old just in a towel. Earl, do you have any shampoo? And Charlotte erupts with, how could you do this, Earl Duke? And he says, how could I do what? I have shampoo. It's in the back. (laughs) And that's my favorite line because that's when you realize that maybe what this looks like and what Charlotte thinks it is isn't quite what it is. And the moment Charlotte leaves... She's. Um, it, it's funny because because Candy says thank you for letting me use your shower. I'll tell. I'm sure Uncle Ty would be very happy to hear it or something. But I kept thinking she said, "I'm sure Michael Time will be very happy that you did." And I kept thinking, "Who the hell is Michael Time?" I don't know, I but maybe thinking, he would be very happy to hear about it. Is, is this? I literally listened to it eight times before I realized she was saying Uncle Ty. I kept thinking, Michael Time? Who the hell? I think it was like a quantum leap thing or something. <laughs> I thought, like, Donald Belisario's back. You know, I don't, what's going on? But then, but then, but then, but then I always thought, so, so what, what did you think about that right then? So, like, how, how did you think the machinations of that worked? Like, how did, how did she get there? How, oh, I, you know what? She probably could have just showed up at his trailer door and just said, um, you know, hey, Mr. Duke, can I use your shower? And he would have been like, well, okay. Or, you know, Uncle Tyler asked, and he probably would have been okay because he's, you know, expecting $250,000 cash and an Impala from him. So he's, you know, he'll be gracious enough to let his niece use his shower without yes. even questioning it. He doesn't look like he asks a lot of questions to begin no. with. No, no. You'd be that fine is... with it. That is the thing they, they, I think, sort of with like his wife is that you get the feeling that he has no idea what his wife did. No. And you can't imagine that because my, my thought was, and then I will ask you for your final thoughts on the episode. Um, uh, my my thought was it was something like, um, Ty Dabney Coleman went to Candy and said, "I want you to do this. Um, we're going to drive you up to the trailer park." You're going to sit near the trailer. I think Charlotte's going to try to... She she might not say this. Uh, He might not say this. Um, I think Charlotte's going to try to seduce Earl. I'm going to have someone watching. Because the moment the the raisin truck goes out at the start of the episode, the guys are there and he's there. So obviously they're monitoring the Kensingtons. So I'm going to have someone watch the house. The moment I see Charlotte going out dressed well, we're going to follow her. As soon as we can verify she's going to the trailer park, I want you to go there. Tell Earl you need to take a shower. Tell her, tell him who you are. Go in the shower. Get yourself in a towel. Wait until this moment. Because she says, I'm here for the same reason you are. Wait until this moment and then just step out and present yourself. And you don't have to do anything. Just do that and then take a shower. And the funny thing is, is that... Some of this I'm making up because we don't actually know this happened. But um, unless she's as conniving, I guess I guess maybe we'll see in further episodes what she's like. 
But it, it, it is interesting because I really liked that moment, but at the same time, I did think, so how did that work? I guess we don't really need to know, but... No, ah. I think I think all we need to know is that clearly that Tyler put her up to it, and yeah. she went along with it. It depends on how much he would have told her, but... Yeah. I mean, yeah, he probably just went, I want you to go over to Earl Dukes and take a shower take at shower. his place. Tell him you to know. take a shower, yeah. And she's 16, and, and he probably gave her a lot of money to do it. Here's probably, your, here's your yeah. allowance yeah. times two. Yeah. yeah, because that was one, I mean, like, we did have um, Charlene Tilton's character in the original Dallas was sort of very much a Lolita type I mean, her character, I think, is like 16, um, when the show starts, and the very first episode, the first time you see her, she's in like the the loft of the barn, fooling around with Ray, the ranch hand. And now Ray, of course, turns out to be her uncle later on in the series, but that's some distance away. So, so it's sort of that that Lolita esque character. But this Lolita esque character doesn't actually do anything; she just takes a shower. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. So, so what? Do you have anything else on this one? I mean, because we could—it's ninety minutes and it's very funny, and we could talk for ages. But do you have anything else on this one that you want to throw out before I say go watch it, everyone? Go watch it. Well, I know you probably thought I wouldn't come up with any trivia for oh. this because I don't have the the necessary chops for <laughs> nighttime soaps, and I don't. But I do have a, an affinity for random trivia. And so <laughs> I do actually have a little bit. And that is because I was looking to see if Bob Mackie did the, the oh. costumes because he um, obviously he did all of Carol Burnett's wardrobe on mm. uh, the Carol Burnett show. And, yes, he did. He did all the costumes. Because oh. I was like, as soon nice. as I saw, like, the first couple of outfits she wore, I'm like, I bet he did. And I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. And he did. But when I was looking it up, another name caught my eye and I had to I'm like that can't be the same person and I looked it up and it is so the art director this is random the art director for Fresno was Charles B. Pierce you may know him as, as the director of The Town That no. Dreaded Sundown and Boggy Creek to The Legend Continues <laughs> no yes you're kidding no I'm oh like, my goodness so random he, and he did oh my gosh wow that is random. Well, he did a beautiful job. Yes. Wow. <laughs> he was he was a jack of all trades. Actor, <laughs> writer, the legend of Boggy Creek, the Evictors. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's, expect that's, expect more expect, of that level of random as we wow. go along. Expect the unexpected. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say one more thing about the sh- the sort of comedy in the show. Is some of it is is very obvious, but then occasionally you get moments like, and and this is where I'll end it, and I'll, I'll ask where we can find you online. But the moment when, and I I did I never actually really went back to it to look at how big the dehydrator plant building is, but when Yancey starts going up steps, he goes up like four or five staircases, <laughs> and there's a point where it's like, how is he still going up? Isn't he? past the roof of the building already <laughs> and the funny thing is I, I watched that twice I didn't look to see what the size of the building was and both times I laughed because I thought they were doing something where they just had him to show how far he falls and how big the raisin thing is they just have him going up and up and up beyond the building 
And I don't know if that's a joke or just me not paying full attention, and I'm not going to go back and look. I'm going to call it a joke. Where he goes up one he goes up one staircase, looks around, walks a little bit, then up another. Looks around, walks, then up another. Then up another. And you're like, how many staircases? So I don't know if that, like I said, that's the kind of humor that will pop up throughout this. Some of it's very obvious. When, when Bobby Joe steals a bus. Oh, God, even, yes. As she steals a bus and then she pulls up to the um, uh, uh, the prison and sm- like Frank Drebin smashes into a mailbox that a mailman is trying to get post you know the mail out of sorry and she runs up the steps. Some of it's very obvious, but some of it you watch and you go, I'm not sure if that's a joke or not. Treat it as a joke, you'll get more fun out of life. So 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 Chris, where where can we find you online? You can find me at akakikiwrites.com. It's the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. You can also find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you need my thoughts about raisins in real time, you can get that by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. And uh, I'm going to sign off on this one, and we'll be back next time for Fresno Part 2, which probably has a better title. I don't know what it is. Listen to this. Middleman, Episode 9, The Obsolescent Cryogenic Meltdown. Directed by Michael Grossman, written by Tracy Stern, August 11th, 2008. And this one, um, it seems like there is an old villain of theirs, The Candle, back from the 60s, has returned with this melting ray. So they bring back to life a middleman from the 60s who's been cryogenically frozen and is as 1960s as you might imagine he would be. And he kind of takes over the investigation, much to the current middleman chagrin, and goes on the hunt for the candle. And all sorts of fun stuff happens. Listen to this. The Obsolescent Cryogenic Meltdown. Episode 9 of The Middleman. We don't have very many left. And this is making me sad because with each episode, they're building, I think, a mythology that's getting bigger and bigger. So imagine, think of a show like The X-Files. Imagine if The X-Files had ended after one season. You would have been pissed if the Erlenmeyer flask was the last episode. Well, I think we may be approaching that here, but I haven't watched past this episode. But I know someone who has, and I call her Madame Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I didn't call you Madame Hawes right there, and I broke my own rule of always calling you Madame Hawes. How are you, Kristen? Oh, I did it again. Um, I am was not once a member of the KGB. How are you, Dan? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think the thing about this, the thing about Adventure Super Train is that it's so elegant in its simplicity <laughs> that it really works. <laughs> and I'm just going to yell out, Code 86! <laughs> No, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing happening here, folks. There's nothing happening. We're recording a podcast, uh, and um, you know, and and this is one of my favorite moments. What what is it with um, uh, with with uh, the middleman accidentally watching Wendy fooling around with Tyler, and were you watching me? Well, uh, uh, w, there is watching and there is seeing. 
That's a great. It's a great. It's. A, I mean, it's very. I mentioned moonlighting on the last discussion, and as like, I adore moonlighting. I haven't seen moonlighting in maybe ten years, but I adore moonlighting. And the, moonlighting is obviously a little more caustic, um, but this this has sort of that same sort of smart loveliness where you watch it and you go, "Hey, TV shows can be great." You know, they're not all kind of the. They can be great and. And so now, now I say this though, and I'm going to stop because this might be the episode you hate. So let me let me get let me get a little rundown. For, I'm just going to mute myself so I don't gab on. What do you think of this episode? Um, I actually really enjoy this episode. I do have to to point out one thing because it's about where they un uncryogenically freeze um, a former middleman from that was cryogenically uh, frozen in 1969. And it's played by Kevin Sorbo. And I have such conflicted feelings because uh, Kevin Sorbo has become such a unbelievable like, yeah. Yeah, piece of garbage yeah. as a human being. Yet he is so good in this episode. He's, so... He's hilarious. He nails it. It's just it's really, really unfair. And he gives me <laughs> conflicted feelings. But overall, yes, very much so. Enjoyed the the episode. Enjoyed the sixty nine flashback references the former arch enemy the middle lore yes just and then the whole subplot of wendy being uptight about how well her relationship with tyler is going because she always knows how her relationships are going to end and she can't see that with him yes. and it bothers her and i just it of... all combines so so nicely and we get a lot of 69 the year 69 references <laughs> like bond references not mm -hmm. like the yeah, uh, sexually. Yes. <laughs> explicit. Yes. Not the nice references that yes. you would have on the internet. Yes, so, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I very much enjoyed this episode. What do you think? I I think one of the things to start off that I love about the episode is that um, right after Tyler and Wendy play was a gut wrencher one, and then yes. have have a bit of fool around. <laughs> Wendy talking to Lacey has a huge metal bowl full of Cheerios. <laughs> and then Noser walks in wanting a cup of coffee. So it's like I never fully figure out where exactly they are, but that's okay. I never figured out where Middle Earth was. You know, I'm mean, it's just it's just it's just a this is a fun place where everyone's enjoying themselves. And right now I have the scene on where he's talking about the middle watch and the watch that records everything I Long pause. Oh my God! You saw me and Tyler, Dubby. There is watching and there is seeing, and I did not watch, but I did see. It was a split second, <laughs> and Ida loves it. But, but yeah, I well, Ida was definitely watching because yeah. when Middleman tries to turn it off and says that Wendy's like a little sister to me, and he leaves the room and she calls him a wimp. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and there's there's something too that it's code eighty six and eighty six is you know eighty six that knock it off. Yeah. But eighty six, of course, is Maxwell Smart. Eighty six. So it's like I don't know if that means anything because Get Smart was on in nineteen sixty nine. Get Smart was a show of that time period. You know, and and there's mention like later on of James Bond films, Doctor No and Thunderball, and stuff like that. So. um and KGB and, and all this other 
great stuff. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode. So, um, oh, and what, what is it? Uh, uh, and it, alongside the, um, what is it? Tropic of Cancer, Wendy Language, is my second favorite story of, oh, Ida, when, when he walks in and sees Wendy and Tyler, and you see Wendy's got her top off, and she's like wearing a green bra, and you're like, I shouldn't have seen that either. <laughs> You know, on, a, on an average day, I'd go, sure, I'll see that. But no, with the middleman, I don't want to, no. No, I don't want to see that. That's not right. That's not, that's not right. Um, uh, so there's, there's as as with all these episodes, there's, there's a lot to talk about. And I'm going to say right off the bat, um, Lacey's line, something on the lines of, um, something like, what's better? You know, something like sex, waffles, and video games. Yes. Which is a fantastic line. Yeah. Um, uh, what what else? There's there's a there's a lot going on. I love when they go they go to the middle lore and look at the books. Hungry man, reach for a book. It's a weapon. Yes. Yes. Bertolt Brecht, which reminds me of there's a there's a there's a He Man episode where <laughs> where, where um, man at arms is frozen solid by some sort of Skeletor trap, and they have to find a way to save him. So He Man and and Tila go to the li- the royal library, and he says, "Because these books are knowledge," and mm-hmm. they begin to look through the book, and they find what they need to do, and they save Man at Arms at the end. Hooray! <laughs> but that's one of those. It's one of those great. It's one of those great moments where that that was one of those things like back in the eighties where it's like books. They're <laughs> your friend, and books are still your friends, folks. I mean. Even if you haven't read a book in 10 years, and I'm actually surrounded by books in the room I'm in, to the point where we got the hoarding crew coming over tomorrow <laughs> in hazmat suits. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, but but I love that the book, books are books are, are your weapons. And they're looking through the middle, and I wish they, they, they show up. What is it? The domino, and I forget what the other ones are, but they're a bunch of great um, villains. Yeah. From the from the long long ago days. Yes, and um, and this this one of course the villain is the candle. Oh my gosh, who melts stuff? Yes, which was fantastic. Which is fantastic. So let let's let's talk about now now what are we going to call him? We're going to call him the other middleman. We can't call him sixty nine. We're going to call him Kevin Sorbo. What what do you want to? Let's we'll call him sixty nine. Okay, that's what and, they and him. like it's the year. Ladies and gentlemen, we're yes. not, we're not, I'm not going to bleep that out every time we say it. I don't have the, the, I don't have the interest nor the wherewithal to do that. So that's what we're calling. So what did you think? Like when he shows up, what, because there's a moment where uh, what happens is we think it's the candle and Ida suddenly goes into like the candle and she starts doing something. And then all of a sudden, like, um, geez, I'm trying to think of bachelor, um, pad, um, what's that one guy who did all crap? I don't remember. You know, sort of the easy listening bachelor pad music. Um, and she's like, what is this weird 60s bachelor pad music? And then all of a sudden there's a door we've never really seen before. And Wendy does one of those great things. What's behind that door? And who's behind that? What's what's behind that door, Ms. Ha- Madame Hawes? It is a very nude Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, yes, I don't know if I need to call sexual harassment on this. But. Yeah, and he's and he is like standing there completely nonplussed in the buff, and he had himself cryogenically frozen, 
and just in case the candle came back because he was pretty sure the candle yes. faked his death. And Ida obviously adores him. And he, she was programmed to, to unfreeze him when she heard about the candle mm-hmm. and kind of favors him over the current middleman, which makes middleman a little bit peeved, yes. if it's possible for him to get peeved. And um, yeah, he gets stressed. And he, the thing about it is, is that we're not going full Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. But you make he's, a point of that even, I think, in one line or something. Yeah, but he definitely retains some of the uh, misogyny and um, affection for unbridled drinking on the job. Cigarette smoking. (laughs) The The Surgeon General was a commie or a red. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then they make a point later saying that somebody had died of cancer from smoking. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got the... And he does make some references because he calls people commies, hippies, mm-hmm. you know, Beat stuff next, like that. I think at one, net, Be- the one yeah. point. <laughs> and then he does make a great reference to Star Trek. He said something about, oh, well, yes. maybe they'll just beam us up. And he's like, oh, that's reference to a, an obscure show you've probably never heard of. Yes. And they, and the two of them, um, our, our middleman and Wendy, give each other a look in the back. Yeah. I, I was actually hoping for a moment they might have said something there, but I, I get why they didn't. But I would have yeah. loved I would have loved that they just gave him a little something because yeah. every time they mention something from the past, they're generally sort of negating whatever it is he's done. But I would have loved a moment like, oh, you should see they made, what what was it, 2008 by that point? Yeah, they'd made 10 movies at least in four or five <laughs> yeah. series, and it's never ending. But Yeah, so it's kind of nice that, that that's what they did with him. They didn't make him into a cartoon character. He's mm-hmm. legitimately... He, you could buy him as a middleman yes. from the 60s. So he's a bit bondish in a way. And um, is the difference between him and, and middleman, because middleman is a milk-drinking, rule-following kind of a guy, and this guy is a swinging dude who says, well, we can't, have, we can't ever experience love because your first, third, and fourth wives will be horribly <laughs> murdered by supervillains, and then your second <laughs> wife will leave you for a supervillain. <laughs> And all he does is is he wears the high karate and drinks the Jamaican rum. Yes, he. I think he gets like. Don't a be Cuba stingy Libre. on the sauce, Ida. Yeah, can you make me a first? Make me a Cuba Libre. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like constantly oh, drinking. He drinks like more than most of the members of my family, so <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I'd like to think. I'd like to think too that he got. When he mentions James Bond later, that he got frozen before On Her Majesty's Secret Service came out, so he only saw Sean Connery. Oh, so yeah, to him, so, James Bond, George Lazenby, isn't it? George Lazenby. I actually just watched it again this past week. I love it. It's one of my favorites. But it's George Lazenby is is the James Bond in that. That's the the first one without Sean Connery, and then he comes back in Diamonds Are Forever. But I'd like to I'd like to think that he got frozen about three or four months before. Under Majesty's Secret Service, and because I, I would like to think that when he mentions James Bond, he'd mention you know that I forget is is he from New Zealand? I think George Lazenby just mentioned something like that guy, you know that that New Zealander, that Kiwi they hired was yeah. was was garbage or something like that, you know. But um, yeah, it's it's he 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 does say at one point where he says something like I'm you know I'm not some '60s relic. You know, yes. that's to be laughed at, or so. Which to me was very much like I'm not Austin Powers. Yeah. 
that that to me that was specifically what that was so so and he does i mean yeah in in the end he's crazy but little freezer burn i think yeah <laughs> perfect yes exactly when you get like when they finally bring Walt Disney back <laughs> he is going to be so confused by Pixar and why they have the Marvel universe and everything that he's <laughs> going to be I don't get any of this um what do you mean there are wizards Harry <laughs> Potter's what yes what yes ex- exactly I don't get the little mermaid I wouldn't have done that one <laughs> I was okay with Sleeping Beauty because it looked gorgeous, but it was kind of dull. But I don't get this uh, this other stuff we're doing here, you know. Um, uh, so so what else? Um, let me look at my notes. Yeah, we do get some nice scenes with Tyler. He cooks for her. Um, uh, he yeah, he obviously takes her to play the video game that she wants to play, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Eighteen dollars on Gut Wrencher One. <laughs> I would have. They must be good. Because I could, a, a, a game like that, a coin op game to get from beginning to end, like when I used to play when Dragon's Lair came out, I was like eleven, and every time I would put in a quarter, I was done forty seconds later. <laughs> so so eighteen dollars to play a, a, a two thousand and I don't know when this game would have come out. I mean, Tipper Gore and the Dalai Lama said it was horrible. <laughs> So I almost want to say it's late '80s, early yeah, '90s. That sounds um, about right. But but I, I it's just like it's it's funny to watch them play. But the whole time they're playing, though, I'm thinking, you know, that would have been the day I went to the Battle of the Bulge Pancake House to enjoy a lovely meal, maybe with my family, maybe by myself. And there are these two nuts in the corner <laughs> playing this video game, screaming the whole time. And I'm like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm sitting here. And I, I got I got like my I got my Hitler moon over Miami kind of thing, you know. And it's just I got it. And it's fantastic. And it's a pancake. It's a bunch of pancakes, and the bacon looks like his mustache. And I'm gonna dive in, but these people are yelling and they're yelling, and it's so awful, and it's just driving me up the wall. Yeah, and I would have guess... got my left waffles to go. <laughs> I don't know a Churchill crepe. Which are twice the size of the regular crepes. <laughs> but boy, they got gumption. Yes. Don't ask what... That's like a special sauce. Don't ask what the gumption is. <laughs> but it's delish. And it's a, but it's funny, watching them play, I did think that. I thought, oh, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm loving watching them. Because the thing about, like, where she says, I don't know, a third date where you're bringing me to a, you know, a waffle house... You know, when, you know, and I have not, you know, I'm having thoughts of other things. He says, well, I'm having thoughts of other things, too. But what about that? And he points to the game. And, like, that is awesome. But at the same time, yeah, I would have, um, I, I guess I would have asked for my waffles to go at that point. So, uh, what what else do you have on this one? I'm going to skim, skim my notes here. KGB, the KGB lady. Yeah. At the jewelry Are you, store. Are you sure you work KGB? KGB? No. <laughs> yeah, then she describes the guy that, that melted her store as looking like Andy Warhol. Yes. <laughs> With some deranged beatnik. Oh, oh, what about what about Tyler? I I lo- I really love this um little bit when she go and Tyler's making her some sort of doughy meal. 
uh, I, I forget what he's making her, but we get the dreams of Monica. Thing. Oh yes. What, what did you think about that? That was I didn't I did not see that that coming at all. I didn't either. I kind of liked it. It has to be in reference to something, some sort there of pop be, culture yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, the, the fact that he left this band before they hit it big about a song that he wrote about his girlfriend who left him for the douchebag bass player. <laughs> the douchebag. <-bag>. Yes. <laughs> That's what this thing. And that he that kind of has stigmatized him because. The girls he date finds out about it, and then he becomes this, you know, should have been a famous rock star person, and then he's just playing Tyler, and none of that. Wendy didn't know any of it, and it doesn't interest her yeah. at all. Yeah. So I like that. I like that a lot. I really, I, th I thought that was a nice, I thought that was a nice little, it's, it's, the fact that he says, like, it's sort of like, he took the high road and said, okay, you guys can have this song. And suddenly this is their huge hit song and they're huge rock stars. And he's this struggling guy. And, um, but he seems pretty cool. I don't know. You know, he's, he seems, he seems pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I think, I think he's one of those things where, um, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent convinced if I think he's pretty cool because there are a few times I think where he's trying too hard. Um, but, if Wendy likes him, I like Wendy, so I like him. So I'm willing to go yeah. ahead with that. I I like his taste in movies, so yes. that wins yeah. that wins him over for me. Yeah. Um, and he does seem to be a good fit for Wendy, like because when Wendy calls because she can't make it because she's got a you know obviously and he's work. at her door. Is, yeah. Yeah, and and but he's like totally understanding. Oh, it's okay. He, and she's like, "You're fine with this." And he's like, "You've got a job that you love and you're really good at. Why would yes. I be upset about that?" Mm -hmm. I re yeah. He's just he makes you pine for the perfect man. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, so uh, let's talk. Well, I guess let's let's. Uh, you want to talk about the candle for a bit, or the not the candle, or the yes. Let's let's talk about the candle because. The first of all, they catch the candle. The in candle. Quotes. We put that in quotes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Because they're having a stakeout. Because um, what's Kevin Silver sixty nine says that he that that's how he communicated with his fences was through this. Oh, yes. Harry basically, this little through, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they're waiting for that contact to be made, and they're all in the the car together, and middleman gets uncomfortable. He leaves. <laughs> he goes out. Oh, what did he say? Some like steak, stakeout treats or something he, like yeah, that. Yeah, we need some stakeout treats. And he goes to get them. So while in the car, you have sixty nine and and Wendy talking about love and how his wives were either murdered or left him, and that people like them can't have love, which mm -hmm. is kind of you know cramping her style with Tyler. The thought of that. In the background, we see this Andy Warhol looking guy yes. creeping around the trunk. <laughs> Middleman comes up and attacks him. They fight it out, and then lands on the hood of the car. <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's a variation on a Ida shooing Tyler from the, yeah. the the office in the previous episode. Yeah, it's great. So that they catch this kid, and it is a kid because the real candle actually died mm. after after he turned his life around. He faked his death, turned yes. his life around because he found Jesus. Mm -hmm. And lived this life. He gave this kid um, was like a neighbor or something, mm -hmm. and gave him the letter that said where his melting ray was. He wanted him to donate it to science, so they could figure out something to good to do with it. But he's like, 
it's a melting ray, so he uses it to go steal jewelry. Yeah, he says something like, why wouldn't you just, you know, I mean, just do it. (laughs) Give it a try. You know, why not? Why not? You know? It's a melting ray, you know. It's like yeah. it's like if someone gave you a bag of crack, you know, <laughs> I get rid of this. You go, okay, but then you go, let me just try it once. Oh, hey, that's really good. Yeah, you know, it's crack. It's great. Yeah. You know, it gets you high. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, so but he but sixty nine will not believe that the candle is actually dead, and he wants to beat the crap out of yes. this kid to make him confess. And that's when the middleman and sixty nine step outside. To discuss it, and we get the first little twist, I think, in that Ida, who's been so fond, like, she has rapport with 69, they flirt a little bit, it is a side of Ida we have not seen, and when they get into it, she sides with our middleman, and says there's only one middleman, and that's him. Sugar buns. Sorry. I think she calls it Yeah, sorry, sugar buns. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I... So it they, looks like the candle is dead and that this kid was doing it, but the, but 69 is not convinced. Yes. He believes he goes, that the candle's coming back. And it's interesting because he has to, when he becomes a civilian, he has to give his name. And that's Guy Godard. <laughs> and I don't know, I, my first thought was Jean-Luc Godard, 60s <laughs> avant-garde filmmaker, and Guy Gardner, who was one of the Green Lanterns from the 1980s and Guy Gardner is um, a real douchebag. That's his character, sort of. So I didn't know if that was meant to be a um, a mix of those two. It could be. Knowing the show, it yeah. could be. But, um, but, but Guy Gardner was very much like, hey, I'm Green Lantern, ladies. Watch what I can do. And, you know, Green Lantern, when he has his ring or when the Green Lanterns, they have, they can do anything. They can fly. They can make this out of anything. They can create this. They can do that. And he would show off. And he was a he was a d bag, and, and so so to me, Guy Godard is a, is a lovely mix of the uh, yeah the avant garde '60s filmmaker and the douchebag uh, '80s guy. Uh, he's still around now, but the uh, Green Lantern uh, Guy Gardner. I don't, but I could be wrong. There could be another guy. Maybe it's Guy. Maybe it's meant to be Guy. They're like a French Guy Gardner oh. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> from from the return, was it Return of the Pink Panther or Pink Panther Strikes Again? My name is Guy Guy Gadbois. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, but it's great that you get to hear a name from a middleman. Yes, and I know we'll never know who our middleman's name is. No, I was just a heartbreak. That was that was probably going to be like the the Last real s- series finale would have been learning his actual name because he would have to retire there can only be one middleman yeah po- possibly something along the lines of like something had gotten so huge that whatever the place was the place that they don't know what it is sent another middleman and mm. booted him out so he had to give his name but in the end he saves the day and then maybe walks away and with Wendy or you know not to get like a couple but they they walk away together from whatever it is or something. But yeah, that that's what it seems like to me that you you set it up here as like um, a middleman has to give his name, and once once you give your name, they can get you. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't don't get Guy Godard or <laughs> Guy or Guy. No, he doesn't say Guy. He says Guy. He says Guy Godard. No, he says Guy. Yeah, I'm gonna stand by Guy Gardner and Jean Luc Godard. Um. Uh, so um, 
so so let's let's talk about so let's talk about let's start we want to talk about the game the card game oh my gosh the calvin ball of card games yes it makes no sense everybody gets their own deck of cards and when you start out the rabbit when she plays yeah <laughs> and, and someone gets a 52 of a kind Yes. Which is which is just a, a hand going over an entire pack of cards with all the same card. 52 of a kind. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. But if you like, sh- if you show that you don't know how to play the game, any hesitation or anything, you get your head cut off. Yes. There's a gentleman there who will cut your head off. I forget if I wrote his name down, but um, he's a big guy. He's a big guy, but yeah, it's one of those it's one of those wonderful weird ass games where it's like they just keep yelling out things and other things keep happening. I mean, it's like like when you watch a James Bond movie, I don't know how Baccarat works or any of those <laughs> things. So when they say stuff there, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. So as far as I know, this could be a real game, and they just keep yelling out crap and <laughs> they just keep saying stuff. And I will say this: sixty nine and Wendy both look great. When they show up, I love Wendy's outfit. She's kind of in the outfit that she wears in the um, opening credits. It, yeah, very reminiscent of Emma Peel, yes, the Avengers. Very, yes, exactly. And and there's it's just a great international sort of odd group. There's like a guy with a monocle, and he has two like blonde double mint twins behind him. And there's like um, Icy Vilma Schmidt or something like that. You know, it's all these different weird. Weird characters. Oh, uh, my manservant, thoughtless brute, Govinda, will keep the players honest. And basically, he'll cut off your head. So it's it's and it's just um and and basically the the reason why they're doing that is they're after what is it the um the um the 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 thing oh, I wrote it down the oh Balthorium. Is it is that right? The Balthorium? Yep. That six? sounds right. It, it, yes, it, it fuels the the melting ray. That's all. You yes, exactly, exactly. And so they're trying to find it because they think the melt uh, the melter. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna stop. The the bad guy's gonna go after it. I got so many things written down. I wrote a lot on this page, and I've got I've got the Domino Balthorium Middle Lore Dreams of Monica. I'm I'm completely lost. Some hooch. I don't oh know what gosh. that. Oh my gosh! Yes, because when he goes, when sixty nine shows up at the loft, oh, that's right. He yes. talks to Lacey first, and he knows her name, and he's like so like instantly charming to her, and he's looking through the refrigerator because Wendy's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Right now, I'm looking for some hooch." And he, she's like, "You leave my roommate alone." Oh, that's right. About booze. Yes, I'm talking about booze. Ah. <laughs> uh... So, so they they are they are at this card game the, the, to to get the the uh, bell or the the thing the the thing that the can the melter candle thing and there um and there's a lot of junk that goes on and in the end we get this really weird moment where where um apparently sixty nine's hand has been melted. <laughs> Yeah. Which is really an odd moment where he's just got one hand by his side and it's just a mess. And you're like, what it's am like I melted to at? the floor? Yes, it's it's like it's like a candle melted onto your your like coffee table or something. And they they give him a hook, which I guess you, you always want. You always want a yeah. nice hook. Yeah, if if you're gonna lose your hand, um, and. It, 
it is interesting because up until the very end, I was always sort of kind of hoping that 69 was not going to be quite a bad guy. He's he's a jerk, I think, more than a bad guy. Or or am I or is he more of a bad guy? I don't know. He's um, well, he's a jerk, definitely. <laughs> but um, he he, I think he does what like all of the other villains in in the show end up doing. He he launches into being a bad guy off a very specific shitty thing, yes. and that is being forced into retirement. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him want to take out the the current middleman so he can take over, back over and be the middleman again because there can be only one. It's like Highlander without yes. the tuba. And, they go to Snake Island, yeah. That, yes, yeah. then they go to Snake Island. And it's so it's like like every other villain. It's just that one specific thing that has pushed him over the edge. And oh, I yes. love that Wendy talks him out of that and, and points it out to him and goes – you're just the candle. You're just another coward. Yes. That, you know, because he even says the bad guy line, which he's like, peop- the, the bad guys are still Ele- saying that. They're like, yes, it's the sheer elegance. It's elegance and it's simplic- the sheer, sim- sheer simplicity. <laughs> the simplicity, yep. No, no, and, no. Yeah, she points out that he's a bad guy, and that's when he realizes that, oh, my gosh, yes, he has the moment of redemption where he realizes that he has become what he has fought for most of his life. And then he goes and he saves the middleman by sacrificing himself. Yes. And they have the, the lovely final scene where, um, what is it, uh, he, he uh, middleman slightly adjusts the um, the facts, I think. Yes. Yes, he's, he's telling the truth. He's just changing the facts. Yes, it's I'm telling the truth, Dubby. It's only the facts that I'm changing. And, and the thing, Ida comes in and says he was a much better dresser. And she's on roller skates. And she yes. kind of does a little spin and goes off. And you're like, I get the hell out of here. What are you doing? You're adorable. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, is 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 this the episode? I'm 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 sorry. I I I actually made the mistake of watching an episode or two ahead. So is this the episode where they discuss love at the end? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and I, him, the middleman, saying that he's loved and been loved, and tells and tells Wendy at one point that it love is simple. You either have it or you don't. Anything yes. else is either delusion or self sabotage. And that's kind of what Wendy's doing is with Tyler. She's looking for her escape yes. route, just in case she's kind of setting up for self sabotage. But she ends up not doing that in the end. She decides to just go with it. Which good for you. Good for you. That's growth. Yes, because Tyler says that his his sort of thing that he can do is make good soup and start fires with his mind, which is actually something I believe that Lacey says to her at the beginning. Yes, like like can you start fires with your mind? And so there's um, it's 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 really kind of sweet. Just because when when I think when the middleman talks like that, like Wendy is so much fun and she's she's just. She's kicking ass, and she's uh, adorable. Isn't quite the right word to use, but sometimes she is. Whereas the middleman is always kind of this stoic guy, and he's in his he's in his. Um, well, what 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 is it? They they make fun of how he dresses, you know. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I'm in the Eisenhower suit because he was a guy who led a bunch of other people through a tough time fighting horrible evil." And I'd like to think um, that that's the sort of man I am, mm-hmm. and. 
and then they have the talk about love and just that great moment I, I have and, and where he just kind of basically says I have I have loved and been loved and so it's it's like he kind of shuts that down and it's it's kind of just so and you can see when he's with Lacey that like yeah he, he'd yeah. be like like that, that moment back when they were a couple episodes ago when they were leaving the theater for the first time it looked they were going to looked like they were going to kiss and at first it looks slightly like like oh well, the middleman doesn't do that but then it kind of came just like no nah, it's like anyone's <laughs> sort of awkward like first kiss do I want to do this do, do I not and you know what if I was looking at Lacey I would have been like I'll do this the next time <laughs> And, and so, so, and hoping there was a next time, you know. So I understand completely. I'm no hunk. Well, <laughs> they say, uh, but, 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 but you, and you can see, and I just, I just love that. Um, I just uh, can't love Halls of Montezuma, Dubby. What did he tell you? Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> love is an impossibility for us. It's an impossibility for him. I'm sorry. I have them going on. Why aren't you with anyone? Oh, here we go. My choices are my own. And make no mistake, I've loved and been loved. If true love shows up at your doorstep and you drive it away, that's on you, not the job or anything else. So that's I, that, that scene happened to come up and I had the subtitles on. And then they go on the cancer sub. And yes. so so I would just say, <laughs> I won't go on too much longer because uh, I've been going on for a while. But it's great when they get out of the sub and the guys are in wetsuits. <laughs> and Dubby is dressed like Ursula Andress from Dr. No, uh, which is very funny. You, it, it's funny because they don't linger on her. She just kind of shows up and you see the top half of her. And then you see her kind of walk away in long shot. And then she gets in a less revealing outfit. Yes. So it's sort of like a joke where they're like, okay, we get what they're, we get what that's up to. We get why sixty nine put her in that outfit. She's in, she got the knife by her side and everything. She looks fantastic, but then she goes in a in a in a sort of a smaller, more uh, workable outfit after the guys look at the Scandinavian furniture that all the villains. <laughs> yes. Have. Yes. So, um, let's see what what else do you have about this one. I'm gonna. All right. Well, since we're on that moment, let's be a little superficial for just a minute. You can cut this out later. Um, yeah. Because I am obviously a bi-plus woman, so I'm attracted to all sorts of people. Yes. Natalie Morales in, in that Ursula Andress bathing suit was not a bad thing. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> but on that same note, Matt Kiesler is a very attractive man. I know that. Yes, I mean, yes, obviously, yes. I have eyeballs. But let me just say that a damp Matt Kiesler is somehow hotter than a dry <laughs> Matt Kiesler. At least I was gonna, to me. I was going to say, I thought my, one of my favorite hunky moments with him is when he's climbing down the ladder and he hangs from the ladder for a moment and then drops down. I'm like, nice. Yeah. No, no, he, yeah, when he shows up, he's like, yeah, he, no, he's, he's, uh, he's a very good looking gentleman. I think that's maybe why I, um, I pay attention when he talks. He's like E.F. Hutton. <laughs> when, when he talks, I listen. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so so what else, what else you have we got with the ending and the stuff and the um we say goodbye and um it's only the facts I'm changing and uh gazpacho and um <laughs> I do, I do I do I I do wish we had a little a little moment or something with maybe Lacey and um in the middle our middle man 
But I get we got a lot going on. We got a lot going on right we now. We do. We do. But we do get another happy ending. Wendy gets to pick her own uniform. Yeah. Oh, that's a great scene. Yes. Where she's like, what? <laughs> and, and yeah, that's, that's and it's it's nicely done, too, because like I said, that's that scene where he says, because, um, yeah, I, I picked my uniform because of this. But if you're ready to pick your own, do it. Just um, I forget what he says. Make it good. Make it great. Make it do it right. You know, do it. Yeah. Do it well. And then yeah. she does it. She looks great. Oh, yeah, she does. Because she keeps a lot of what he um, he did, what made her wear, but mm. she jazzes it up. She goes yes. with a vest instead of a jacket, and it looks stunning. It really does. Yes, yes, yeah. I think, I think, I think knowing the way when I have to go out and dress in any way, shape, or fashion, I dress like the middleman. I would dress <laughs> sort of, just look decent and go. I, I dress like Ida. <laughs> Brightly colored and slightly offensive. <laughs> I, I, I. The thing is, I'd like to dress probably like Wendy does or like Lacey does, um, a little more um, interesting. But I just, can't, I just can't. I've never been even. I think I'm too old now, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I've got the. I'm gonna crest an age wave and suddenly be like, it's fashion time, baby. I'm doing it. Um, but it's just, I can't, um, I just, you know, I got a couple shirts, I got a couple pairs of pants. Uh, you know, I mentioned a few episodes ago that I fell down in the street and tore one of my pairs of pants. I'm still going to try to wear those to work and hope no one notices. <laughs> when someone does, I'll apologize and say, oh, I didn't know these were those pants and won't wear those again. <laughs> But I'm just bad with I'm just I, I, I just think with uh I, I'd be I'd be at the end of the day less like sixty nine and Wendy dressing sharp and cool and more like the middleman dressing in something just like functional and um and that, that you know that stops me from running around naked in the streets. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to get those charges. Yes, exactly. Uh, now do you have anything else? There there's right when Right after 69 sacrifices himself because he has the great moment where the I turned off the candles ray so many times <laughs> that he eventually uh, did one without an off switch. So he has to sacrifice himself. And there's a great moment where, uh, since we're in 178 widescreen, Wendy's on one side middleman's on the other and she says I just need to do something real quick and he says of course and she runs up and gives him a big hug oh I love that moment so much it's real sweet it's it's real sweet yeah and right after that they have a discussion about um uh costumes and she she puts on her new outfit mm -hmm. which is great so so we don't have a lot of episodes oh we really Gosh, don't we don't we only we, only, we have three yeah, we got three. Oh, that's breaking my heart. This is, you know, it was like when we did, when Rob Kelly and I did Police Squad and we only had six, because of the way that show ate up jokes, we got to the end of every episode going, yes, another good one. And then when we got to the end of the sixth one, we were like, Whew, all right, we're done. <laughs> uh, but But this is one, this is building a world. Um, in a way the police squad wasn't and wasn't meant to be. But this is building a world of building characters that I've really come to like. Yeah. And only three episodes left is 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 um It's rough. I think I'm I, I'm gonna be bothered. 
when we get to yeah. the end of, of episode it's, 12. It's going to be so hard to let these guys go. Yeah. Uh, do, do, you have, do you have anything else on this one? I'm going to scan my, my notes one more time. Gazpacho. No. <laughs> Tyler <laughs> makes gazpacho. Tyler makes gazpacho. Uh, no, I, I don't. I have no thoughts on okay. gazpacho. Okay. Um, so if, if you don't have anything else on this one, let us um, – let us let us ask you. No, it's only me. Let me ask you. I was. I went. Woo! I went universal. I be, I became the world, and we want to ask you where you are online. You can find me at akakikiwrites dot com. It is the home of my podcast, Book of Mediano, an old Hawaii Five O podcast. You can also find me at my blog, kikiwrites dot com or kikiwritesabout.com. and you can get my Ida fashion tips. <laughs> in real time on Twitter at Kiki Rides. Thank you so much. And next up, bam, bam. that's the end of this episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. Yay, brand new with Fresno, our first mini series. It's exciting. I think. I hope. I hope you enjoyed it. So we'll be back next time with a little more monkey, a little more middleman. We're not too far from the end of middleman, and the second part of Fresno. Uh, what are we, what are we, where are we, where are, is we, eventually supertrain.blogspot.com, Addy Supertrain1 on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook, uh, yeah, that's about it, uh, Danny Slacks, yahoo.com, if you want to, uh, shoot me an email, uh, that'll be fun, uh, and yeah, that's about it, uh, uh, th- we'll all be back next time, and you'll, you're gonna, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be great, so, uh, let me play a little bit of something, and we'll be back with 138.